I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following podcast may contain some strong language and adult themes. If you've got young children around, maybe save it until they've gone to bed. If you really don't like bad words, this pod probably isn't for you. Welcome to the Making Up the Numbers podcast. The Making Up the Numbers podcast is sponsored by Hope Technology, JTEC Suspension, Revolution Bike Park, Ride Southern Spain, Schwalb, and the world's finest independent mountain bike magazine, Single Track. Previously on the Making Up the Numbers podcast. So tell us a little bit about the dream crusher. What's it like sitting in the hot seat and there's one rider between you and your first World Cup win and you know it's Omri. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us the the feeling sitting there. At the top, I wasn't even that nervous. I thought he was going to get it 100%. So I definitely thought he was going to get it. Like I was like, oh, he'll win for sure. So whatever, like it's pretty cool. And then he was at 1.8 back. So I was like, well, I've smoked him there. And then it turns out he smoked me somewhere else. But and then Andy Cobb's like, you've got it, you've got it. And I was like, honestly, I don't think I do because you're saying it. Like, I really even like reverse psychology and like weird shit. And I'm like, you're saying I've got it too much. It isn't going to fucking happen now. Like, Shut the fuck up, Andy. Being second is like, it can be hard, you know, especially I think behind your teammates. But I think he's younger and he really like, appreciating every moment, every good moment. So for sure, in my case, if I finish second behind him, I'm like, fuck it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm older, you know, we have, I'm five years old more than him. So you have less time. yeah, you have plenty of time to play with. For me, it's not the same. So are you a fan of four, William? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not fan. I really like this track. 
because it's uh, really tough, long and strange, but I've never been really, really good uh, on this track. So that's why my goal was to be the best preparer I can for this race. And I was really stoked about this place because second in front of William, uh, it's amazing. And when you, even if I was just really close to the win, uh, Amory has been good for years on this track. So second place was like a win for me in William. And then, then I came back like when the surgeon told me that I was good, but I wasn't really, I was like still in pain. And then at four years, I hit a hole and I just bent my arm, like it bent Ooh. all the metal plate. Oh, I remember um, that. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> I had like this bent arm. And then I raced Leo Gang anyway, because I just couldn't believe it that it was that bad. So I was like, this is not possible. My arm's like broken. <laughs> and I'm racing in Leo Gang and I was just like telling myself that it's okay, but it wasn't. I, I still qualified, so I was like, that was good. Hello, and welcome to our final episode of season four. We didn't plan on taking a near three-month break between episodes, but unfortunately, I've been a little bit poorly, and Jack and Emmy have been on their travels, so apologies to everyone who's missed the pod, and thanks to all those who messaged checking when we'd be back. Even this episode has been a, a tough one to get in. I'm out in Vegas for a few days, but we, we, we've managed to squeeze it in. And what a show to come back with. The season has officially started with races in the Southern Hemisphere, the Enduro World Cup out in Tasmania, Crankworks in Rotorua, and Nationals in several countries. And we'll get onto those shortly. Then we're going to be catching up with the five-time World Cup champion, the greatest rider I've ever seen, Intense Factory Racing's Aaron Gwen. But we'll start by catching up with Jack and Emmy. How's it going, guys? Good, thanks, George. Good. Nice to be back. Cool. Jack, it's been a busy few months for you. I think you've had at least two trips out to Portugal. Give us a lowdown. Yeah, four, in fact. Um, January was the first trip where we just went out with a small crew of us just to kind of do some track prep and test out some of the things we were going to be doing at the, the camps we run. Um, and then from there, we've done a coaching and racing camp with the Gravity School and the team, one in February, one in March, one in April. We just got back on Tuesday. So, so yeah, it's been... Uh, it's been a really good pre-season. We've got a new venue there. That it's it's an old venue. I think the first national there in Portugal was in 1996. Um, but it's kind of uh, a new venue in terms of the work we've put into it. It's the first time I think they've had proper machines in there to build and shape features on the track. And we've revamped the whole thing and certain sectors have changed. Um, so it's, it's a three minute long kind of world level track really. So um, nice. Yeah, we've been based there. It's been unreal and some good racing and the team vibe is uh, is awesome this year. So yeah, it's been good. Excellent. And you took the win of the weekend on one of my favourite tracks anywhere in the world, Sal Brass. Yeah, finally. Um, it's funny, I was uh, we, we had to drive home from the Algarve in the, in the race van straight after the race and uh, that's a lot of time to sit and sit and reflect. So I'm glad the race went well. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've raced there four times now and... Uh, I've come third twice and fifth once. Um, and I, it's one of those tracks where I feel like I can do well. Um, I've been, I was beat there by, um, Simmons and Angel the last two times. And as you know, it's quite peddly along that middle yeah. straight and they're both absolute tanks. Um, so apart, excluding that, I've kind of felt each year like I've been capable of winning it, but just being beat on the watts. Um, whereas this year, there were again some super talented riders there, but I think I was probably the strongest. The lad who was in second is uh, racing enduro at quite a good level at the moment in the e-bike category, and he's really strong. 
someone described it to me once as like a giant BMX track. Yeah, I always think of it like a small Fort William. Like it's yeah. there's one line, it's nowhere near as rough as Fort William, but it's that kind of ground. It's super fast. Like I had a massive crash on Saturday just from the front, just took in, like huge. Um, just came out of nowhere. And that's a little bit what Fort William's like. You're going that quick. If it bites you, you you're on the ground. Yeah. So but yeah, so I mean I was feeling good all weekend and um I had a really good seed in, um, seeded first. And was like, right, I can, I can fucking do this. And uh, I needed UCI points as well, so it was like added pressure. So to be honest, before the race run, I was as nervous. I was as nervous as I get at World Cups because I wanted to win. I've nine yeah. years of racing Portugal Cups, and I've come second, third, first Portugal Cup I ever did. I was second to Matt Simmons by 0.18, um, <laughs> and then I've never been that close since. So I was like, I've got to fucking do this. Um, so yeah, to, to tick it off with my first Portugal Cup and get get all my UCI points for the year in one hit was, uh, yeah, it was, it was sick. How many did you get for winning that? So 30, but I already had 10 from the other two. We yeah. need 40, so that's me for the season. So I, cool. I did have some from last year, but that's just, I'm sorted now. So yeah, cool. So tell me a bit about Dan, because he was third at the weekend and, and I thought he'd be beating you by now. Is he pushing you on or is he still not quite there after the injury? Yeah, I mean, he's 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 back to full confidence on the bike. And the, the thing is like, different tracks suit different people and um different days and excluding those kind of very very top boys like there's a huge bracket of us there of like what well, i don't know how many riders who were all on their day capable of beating each other um yeah. and that track suited me more than damn like i know that yeah who knows that um if it had been a steep technical track with slippy stuff then i'd be putting my money on Dan to beat me all day so it's just one of them a prime example of what I just described there is round two of the Portugal Cup. Like from second place to eighth place, I was eighth. And I think Ocean O'Callaghan was second at that Portugal Cup at Sayre. There was less than a second between seven riders. Jesus. Thibaut de Prella outqualified all of us by almost six seconds. <laughs> and the point, I'm, the point I'm making is... Dan's in with that bunch now where I've been for 10 or 12 years. There was Brayton yeah. in there. There was Gonzalo, Nuno Reyes, like sick riders who all qualify routinely at World Cups, but we are not your top five, top 10 boys. No. Those guys are in a different fucking league. Like yeah. it's just, it's a different sport basically for those guys who are routinely getting on the podium. Um, and Dan is capable of doing that as so many are who are younger. Um, but it's taking that next step. That's that's the incredibly difficult part. So so yeah, he's he's doing well. He's he's back from that injury, and we're pushing each other on. And preseason's gone really well as a result of it. Cool. And team's looking good. You got a junior who's had a good start to the season. Yeah, Owen's fast. He's had a really good kind of uh, transition from where he was December January to where he was in March. Um, just got a lot faster in about five weeks. All of everything that we've been working on seemed to kind of knit together in March, and he won Sayer. Uh, he was 11th overall, just behind me and Dan. Um, he's took a took a knock recently, but nothing major. So yeah, I mean, second year junior. Obviously, all eyes are on Fort William World Champ. So um, we're going to be going to Fort William in a couple of weeks, running a camp, and part of that's going to be helping Owen. Um, and then he's doing all the World Cups. So yeah, it's exciting. It's good. Cool. And uh, you couldn't quite confirm it on the last show, but you, you're riding V10s this season through Stiff. Tell us a bit about that partnership. Yeah, I mean, when we found out we were going to lose the support from Comensal, which was at Val de Sol, so it was really late when they told us. And I, I actually had an agreement 
with them from Andorra. So they changed their minds on us, which was nice. Um, I spoke to everyone in the industry about the frame sponsor in terms of we were sending out proposals for companies to come in big time and offer us like a partner level. And then we were also looking at worst case scenarios where we were buying frames. And four years ago, when I joined Commonsal, I had three frames in my mind that I wanted to ride. Commonsal, Santa Cruz and Intense, uh, back on the old Intense when, if you remember, Jack Moyer, yeah. Charlie Harrison and Dean Lucas were all absolutely killing it on that bike. And the only inroad I got was the Commonsal one. And that is how that journey started. So this time I kind of had a clear mindset that if we weren't going to get a deal where we were getting money from a, a sponsor on the frame side, we were going to be fucking riding V10s. Like, you know, that was, that was my target. So worst case scenario did happen. Um, and we had absolutely nothing lined up. Even in January, we still weren't sure what we were going to be doing. Um, and it's actually through my coaching business that this happened. Um, I coach one of the stiff riders, Monica. Yeah. I've, I've done for a year and uh, she's dead keen this year to do some, do as many World Cups as she can. And they were going to support yeah. her. And just one thing led to another off the back of a coaching day I did with her at the end of the year. And um, me coaching her more is tied in with them wanting to kind of back the team. Um, so we, we have bought the bikes, but we bought them on a, a good, a good rate, if you like, you want to call yeah. it an athlete rate, whatever you want to call it. Um, it is a, a big help to the team. And, that that's kind of how that's worked out. But I mean, you don't buy a Santa Cruz wondering if it's a good bike. Like we knew we were yeah. getting one of the best in the business, if not the best. And it's just been insane. Like that thing is unbelievable. The V10 and the Mega Tower, they're just so fast and so effortlessly fast. It's yeah. uh, it's like free time. You feel like cheating. Like, <laughs> best way I can describe it. I, in uh, February, when I went back to our coaching venue, I'd ridden my V10 twice. And I fully intended the first two days while I was coaching to do back-to-back -back runs on my old commensal and on the V10. I got on the commensal in the car park. There was just no point. Like I could just tell like, everything had changed. My body position had changed. The bike felt strange and small and heavy. So yeah, it was it was one of them. I was like, right, let's go. And it's kind of showing in the results. So yeah, cool. we're excited. So whilst you've been out racing in Portugal, we had an amazing week with Ride Southern Spain. Uh, we did a Spanish national out at Otivar which considering three days before we flew, I couldn't even get a sock on to go sub four minutes down that track was, uh, was, <laughs> well, it was an achievement. I was pretty chuffed yeah. with that. Shout out to Mark Waitman um, on our team who took third in the Grand Vets, Becky Skelton who took the win in Elite Women, Tom Hawkins who took the win in Junior Men, and of course Andy and all the Ride Southern Spain crew for an amazing week of riding. Emily, at one stage I did begin to wonder if you just decided to stay in New Zealand permanently. Good trip. <laughs> yeah, I probably figured I want to stay myself, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it was, yeah, it was good to be back after like four years. We couldn't go because of COVID and everything. Like, yeah, a lot of stuff had changed, but a lot of stuff stayed the same too. So, um, there's more tracks, there's like the bike park got better, but all the people that you want to see are there. So, now it yeah. was one of the best trips in New Zealand so far and uh we got a lot of um riding in yeah and uh yeah it was just all around good to um catch up with the the people that couldn't come over since four years so yeah perfect cool. trip and was the heli drop the high point um it was cool for sure i i never i did the heli drop in zermatt before and i got um 
as a gift but that was definitely a bit more epic like a, a bit uh less staged but um i wouldn't say it was the highlight uh is a real chance to do something like that but i guess like catching up with the people that i missed for so long was yeah was definitely more of a of a highlight but yeah like the heli job was actually like for uh for video for the team right. for country yeah. so that was like kind of the point as well to to show the behind the scene of us being in New Zealand and stuff. But yeah, it was definitely cool. Um, and I had a friend of mine that was guiding as well. So that was like the made, made extra sweet as well. Cool. And I know you're involved in a number of different projects. Tell us a bit about what you've, you've got lined up for 2023. Um, too much already. <laughs> I, I, I like to be busy, but I don't like to work too much. So yeah, it will be, it'll be a lot, but, um, so I've been still teaching a primary school this this winter, right. and I was supposed to be at Sea Otter this week, um, but I think there's a little bit of a mix up because Kanti has like teams at the test event and teams at Sea Otter, so um, there's like a, like they cancelled some of the rooms and stuff. So I was like letting all the riders so that all the riders could go and compete. I was just like stay at home and I have to work on Monday as well. So that worked out. But other than that, should be at every event, World Cup event, working nice. for the team as a staff person, like helping with anything they need, like scoping line, coaching, probably a bit of cleaning, a bit of cooking, a bit of um, security work and the pits. It's <laughs> actually my, my nickname since last year. They call me security when something goes wrong. I'm, I'm here to like policing everybody. Um, and yeah, also do some social media work for Conti at the walk-ups. Cool. So yeah, that'll be, that'll be, um, supporting Cam mentally and also be on the track for, for her and see how she's doing that. It's, it's a lot, it's long days, but it's, it's cool. That is a lot you've taken on there and the Riders Association as well. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's, it's like, it, it's cool. It's cool. Um, uh, we've been, so I had a lot of work at certain point because there's a lot going on when there's this announcement, maybe around the time of the last, last postcard we did. And now we came up with like a more organized association type of like structure. Yeah. So it's funny that we have our own Gwen on the, on the podcast tonight because he's the president of the association now. Yeah. And I'll be like the vice president. So we have a board because as association, you need to have that type of structure. You have a board. Yep members and then you have the other members so i finished the contract riders are in the process to sign it and and then now we register under swiss law so we we're kind of official now and uh yeah i'm happy where we stand i try to collect all the contract before the season starts and then we will try to do some good work um to make sure like security wise everything is working well if there is like some stuff on a track that arises that are not happy with we have like a voting system to make it quick so we can go to ESO or whoever's in charge to say hey this is not safe or we think we should change it the riders um think that and that so yeah that's the point to make to have a communication channel that is clear and fast and um, so I can do that work and the riders can focus on the riding as well a bit more. Cool. So mentioning the Riders Association and, and ESO, um, since it was announced that ESO would be taking over, we've had the Pink Bike AMA, 
that was a, a bit of a disaster. A large period of nothing, a fumbled press release announcing a lot of changes that no one knew was coming. And then most recently, Chris Ball's interview on the Downtime podcast, which in my opinion was a bit of a car crash. I so want to be wowed and I'm just not at every stage of the process. Downhill's to me is all about vision and excitement and being on the edge. And for the best part of 90 minutes in that podcast, Chris talked about formalising and standardising and process. And it's abundantly clear that the only real consideration is what's best for TV, like nothing else really matters. not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but, but that's the, the impression I'm getting. So I'm going to put it in a hypothetical question here, because this is where I think ultimately where it's going. So the year is 2028. The Downhill World Cup is made up of 15 professional teams. Each team has two elite men, one elite woman, a junior man and a junior woman. There's 75 riders on track at a World Cup maximum. The tracks, whilst being on a variety of terrain, are all around three minutes in length. There's no more Fort William, Mont St. Anne or Val de Sol on the World Cup circuit. The viewing experience is fantastic. We follow every rider for their entire run, but it's on a subscription service or behind a paywall with advertising between every third or fourth rider. The payoff is that the viewing figures have increased tenfold. External sponsorship is booming and each of the professional riders on, the, on a team is earning a decent wage. The question is, is that a better or worse position than where we were in 2022 with, with Red Bull? What do you guys think? You go first, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I was finishing my dessert. I was banking you, banking on you going first. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember. I'm just. I was just in it in time to remember the change from Freecaster to um, Red Bull, and I, I, I remember being. I remember the general attitude was, "Oh no, we're losing Freecaster. Rob Warner can't swear anymore, and all this stuff." Yeah, but ultimately, this the sport has got bigger. Obviously, there have been you know a few things that have changed, but I think for the most part the sport's got bigger, which is which is hopefully benefiting everyone. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the way I'd like to look at it is if it's done right, like we're not necessarily going to lose Fort William and Val de Sol because when you think about it, if they want a three minute track, it doesn't have to start at the top. No, no, no. It could move the start lower. So yeah. there's lots of ways around the potential changes and problems to still make the venues good. And I think the important, the major important thing. I think is important based off what you've said around there being the 75 riders and the 15 teams, that kind of structure. That's all well and good depending on what's underneath it. Yeah. Because there are so many riders now, like look at UK nationals. I assume it's the same everywhere. The number of riders in the juvenile and youth category is just crazy. Like yeah. there's so many kids coming through and wanting to do this, but there isn't space for everyone at the world cups. It's, that is true to an extent. Like, you know, where do you draw the line? They used to draw it at 80. Now they draw it at 60, you know, in the men's. And where do they draw the line? They, you could have somebody who would be 130th going, well, I'm, I'm good enough to race here. Why is he not 130 qualifying? And to them, yeah. they're probably pissed off that there's not that many. So I think what is underneath it is important. What kind of B series or other race series with good coverage exists because that that will then provide home to riders who aren't like you say sitting in because that would leave you for, of what you've done there are the 30 elite male seats is that what you've done 15 teams two two riders on each is that is that what you said yeah yeah that's which is, what I would which say is a fair fair approximation of what they might make available um 
30 riders. Like they could do that. And that's next to nothing. So what happens for everybody else? There have to be other series, other events with good coverage and they're well run. I mean, I was told a story by a guy I was coaching in Portugal last week who was at Crankworks in Cairns. He traveled all the way to Australia and including his restaurant, he got five runs. Wow. Because the uplift was crap. There's too many events at, at Crankworks, so the practice is too short. If there's then a weather problem or an uplift problem, they don't extend it because the speed and style's on and they can't possibly affect that. So Crankworks is all well and good. They they televise it, but every Crankworks I've been to for the last four or five years, you don't ride your bike. You get a practice slot of like an hour and a half where you do two or three runs. Like who wants to travel around the world to do that? I, I fucking don't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think if they can make IXS Cups and whatever other series that exist, if they can make them better, maybe companies like Red Bull get involved and then they get them televised and, and then all of a sudden sponsorship will filter down and teams like yeah. mine that wouldn't exist in that structure you've described, yeah. then have a, a home and a place to give five to 10 riders a place to ride and hopefully earn a living. Um, so I'd like to think optimistically about it, but who knows? Amy? Yeah, no, I think you summed it up perfectly, Jack. Like, um, I, talking to them as well, I think that was like one of the reasons why they wanted to, ESO wanted to add the semifinals because they didn't want to, in their words, cut participation in a sense of like raising UCI points because they felt like there's no road to the World Cups yet. Yeah. So I think in a sense of like, how they did in enduro having qualifier series or qualifying races and then when you did that and you you made it you can ride the best series in the world it's not it's not a bad idea at all i i think personally when you track side of you race sometimes some walk-ups there's too many people like that register yeah. you know some people don't have the speed and the track suffers too much depending where you are and depending on conditions. And then it's extremely hard to like give a good show because the track has been repaired like by by the people that work on the track like every minute of their time, but it's still not enough. So I think um reducing it too much would not be beneficial, but I think like make it like the best series in the world where not everyone can participate and have like in every continent um some kind of like qualifying series it will it will help to yeah. like you could say Jack track drag sponsors on the lower level because ESO loves to talk about other disciplines, but I think you can see like in other disciplines that exist, like in a lot of different disciplines that exist. And um so why not AMTB? And I think it will be it would be a good good thing to see that if how fast that's gonna happen. I mean they have a contract for eight years, so Hopefully that that will be done before, but um, yeah, there is a need for that for sure, because there's not enough races, and you see everybody goes like Jack said, everybody goes racing some some Ixs Cup, and then there's like 200 riders, and then you barely do any runs because there's too many people, you know. Yeah. So wh whilst I was out in Spain, we we went to 23 Degrees HQ to have a look around Martin Whiteley's amazing mountain bike museum. And I chatted to Martin Whiteley about it, and he reassured me that he thinks everything's going in the right direction, but it might take a couple of years to get it right. Yeah. Big thing for me is, like, it's horrible to have to say it, but it's true. It's all about money. That's all it's about. Yeah. Like, even this test event this weekend that they're having, 
all they're doing is making sure that they've got their ducks in a row for when they televise that first World Cup at Lenside. They're not doing it for the riders. Like, if they were doing it for the riders, they would have invited all of us. They would have said, every every elite team, every mountain bike registered team, everyone with enough UCI points to race World Cups this year, there's a test event in Lords. If you want to do it, here's the entry. You come on down, you ride. Whereas they didn't. They said something along the lines of, it's open to elite teams, and then they'll go from there. So circling back to the point I was going to make, like all they care about is money. So whatever happens, it won't be about the riders or necessarily about what people, like you described, George, at the start, where you said you, how you see downhill. They don't give a shit. They care whether you're going to tune in and watch it. Well, not even me. I, I don't think they care about me because they know that I will watch it like most people, like you guys. We'd watch it no matter what. I don't mean you specifically as a broadcaster. I mean you as someone who tunes in, you as a member of the public. It's about bringing in a whole new audience, isn't it, that's going to get it to massive numbers. And that's because they want to make money. Yeah, and I think my major thing about this is that I just don't think it's right that the UCI have basically handed over the keys to a sport to a TV production company to do with as they will. It's like, if you imagine football, yeah? Imagine that they went, here you go. Sky. Sky. Um, you can decide how to make the Premier League more exciting. And they go, well, instead, these halves are a bit long at 45 minutes. Let's make them 30. And Players then there's no. wearing fucking GoPros. Yeah. And we, we don't want to draw. So we'll just, if it's drawing after 90 minutes, we just go straight to penalties. And every game's decided like that. Yeah. Now, yes, that would probably make it more, uh, increase the ex- viewing experience for non football fans. Yeah. And that's what I see is kind of happening here that, well, not maybe happening yet, but possibly happening here, that it's been, a sport has been given to some, a TV company to, to shape how they want to shape it for television so it gets more viewers. And I'm not sure that's right. And this, well, this is where it's so important that what Emmy and Aaron and the yeah. rest of the guys setting up the union or whatever it's now called, it's so important that they see it through like they've done and get it going and get it working because ultimately they have to have a voice to be able to, if yeah. it goes down a road, it shouldn't go down. They can stand up and go, well, you'll be filming sweet fuck all because we won't be there. And mm. that they will respond to because they have yeah. nothing without the riders. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you what is, I completely agree with you, but I feel like it's harder when you touching like, someone's like actual life you know like when when people get pressured like riders get pressured by contracts by team managers by sponsors by whoever to do certain things like it's hard to like stand together like it's yeah i thought you know like maybe either is to be like okay like everybody's gonna stand together and say no we don't want the semi-final for example but it doesn't work like that Mm. because then people have open minds or listen to what the team managers said. And obviously some team managers are, believe in, in ESO and some people um, heard Chris Ball talk and say, I think we should try it. So it's harder to get the consensus than I thought it would be. And it's good because then it means like there's different opinions and then you can move forward from there. But I think um, right now the riders are like, okay, we're going to try what yeah. do you say we're going to do because because we don't see like there's another choice and maybe it's a good thing, although it's a very big change. 
um, in the past, people were racing twice in a day as well, like quali and race on the same day, like when I started. So it has done before. So we'll see how it goes. But um, I, I had a feeling that if there, if ESO goes a little bit too far with stuff, like it would only unite the riders more. Now yeah. it, it's 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 in a harder position because pe- people don't know how it feels like. Yeah. But after a season when people try the format and people try to work with the new broadcaster, the new organizer, and everything, we'll have a better idea yeah. of um, how everything works and where they yeah. want to go. And you, you've got to give them a chance. It's important, like you said, that you've got that group decision and you got you're able to say right well what actually is the majority decision and sometimes it's not what you might think or or whatever and that's going to be like you say important later down the line at the moment this is all speculation really like we're hearing all this stuff and change always worries people so it's easy to take that negative kind of but it might be amazing we might get to the end of june and we might be doing a podcast going wow like yeah we were so guarded and we were kind of nervous about this that and the other but this is great and you know it's easy to sound negative about something because it's changed but i do genuinely hope that they are going to nail it like i i know rory well i've known him for years and he's a good lad and he's obviously involved with chris and eso and i believe they are going to do it do it right and do it well but with that you do have to have things like the union in place just so that if they do get carried away or whatever the riders have this this facility to say excuse me um we got an opinion here and you need to listen yeah mm. So the season's kicked off with Crankworks out in Rotorua and Loic took the win on an interesting looking bike. It looked like it was carbon tubes with lugs like the, the Atherton bikes and it had a very interesting LED light on the bars. Any ideas what's going on there either of you? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it so that's all news to me to be fair. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in New Zealand but um, I've seen a few other prototypes with... Um, lugs and carbon tubes so it might not be the final product it's easier to like produce for brands to just like do prototypes so it might just look like a normal bike after yeah um like aluminium normal bike but um i haven't seen the light on it i didn't really look very closely but it seems to work for him yeah yeah he's brave of him to race crankworks wasn't it because he's not got a lot to gain by lining up there really he only got things to lose if he hadn't won yeah i think it's one of them like do you remember Taruka last year when it was the week, it was two or three weeks before Lords and yeah. everybody turned up. It was ridiculous. I beat Loic. Like he had, he said he had a reasonable run and he just got beat by everyone. I was 15th. He was 16th. Like you've trained all winter and you're riding. He'll have done it to get a gauge on where he is. Like obviously, and we enjoy racing and he'll have done it and go, oh, cool. Whereas last year he did that Taruka thing and then he put a video on two days later, didn't he? And he was like, fuck, yeah. I got smoked. <laughs> and, he, and then he went to Lords and was on the podium. So it's it's tough to get a gauge. And this is this is why we're, we're the stuff I do in my gravity school and with the team, we're always timing because me and Dan can push each other and see where we are relative. And then the juniors time and me and Dan can be like, right, how far in front of the junior are we? And you get that gauge and as much as you can do that in training, there's nothing quite like going to a race where Loic's raced all those guys and gone, right, okay, there we go. So Oliver Zouar in second, Nico Malali in third, and Sick Mick in fourth. Bernard back in seventh. I'm guessing that's not what he was looking for, Emmy. Nah, not at all. He doesn't know what happened. Like, he felt fast, but then the clock say otherwise. So, um, yeah, not sure. But it's definitely, I think, 
on a good training path since it started. So, um, yeah, I think he will be he will be ready when time comes. In the women's, Jess Blewett took the win with Jenna Hastings in second and Shania Rawson in third. Was Jenna happy with that, Emmy? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the run, but it could have no, ended I... on that big double. She did a big. Oh, I saw oh, that seen, clip. Have you seen Aaron Gwynn yeah. on the last yeah. at the last race? Yeah, yeah, that was that was typically it. On one of the, it was one of huge double in the middle that only two girls did. Like, if I remember correctly, um, Jess Blewett and her. Yeah. And she tried it behind her brother because uh, Jenna's brother raced as well. He's a junior. So she tried it behind him in practice. And then in a the race run, she went all Ronnie Mac and uh, <laughs> landed on front wheel. And then she was like, ooh. <laughs> so um, ended up second after that one was uh, was was good. And I think um, Jess is on a very good pace. And, and so she was a fair way back. But I think um, she's never really... Like Jenna is someone that peaks through the season. Like even last yeah. year, she was like struggling at the beginning of the season. So she's already showing some pace. So that's a good sign. Cool. And at the Enduro World Cup, Luke Mayer-Smith and Isabel Cordoria claimed victory at round one in Medina. And then it was Richie Rude and Bex Barona taking round two in Blue Derby. Luke looks a real prospect, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I feel like Luke's in that phase I was describing at the start of the podcast where he's, he's had, was he sixth in Andorra? Is that right? He had a good result. I yeah. can't quite remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's had a few other like top top tier results. Um, I think he, I think he finished top twenty in the overall, roughly anyway. Um, and it's now is is he going to be able to convert that to to be in that top ten, top five regular? He's clearly got the speed. Um, and now it's about can he can he start doing it week in week out? Jared Graves is the team manager for Yeti. I, th- I think, and uh, he he must now be ecstatic with wins in both categories at round two. He looks to be really pushing Bex on, doesn't he? You know her, Jack. Uh, you've ridden with her a fair bit, I think, because she's from round our way. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't seen her much in the last however many years, but going back ten years, used used to know her quite well. Uh, she's a lovely girl, and she's. Uh, I remember she, back when I knew her, she used to ride ride downhill and then I remember having the conversation with her when she said she was changing to Enduro and I'm sure she didn't like pedaling and I was like what are you doing <laughs> like, like pedaling. and she was adamant well, she's she was a, doing it she's a very was, strong pedaler now yeah exactly she was adamant she was doing it and uh and now she's uh she's killing it so yeah and and they were one two in the men's weren't they, they didn't just win the men's but yeah were they I didn't yeah, see Lucas that. Was second, yeah um, so they literally like bossed it Jesus yeah it's about as, well, that's as good as it can get, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we had our first national of the year over here in the UK at Riola. And, oh, I'm so uh, good. I missed it. It was hard work. <laughs> Shout out to my boys, Mark Waitman, who took the win in Grand Vets, and Neil White and Pete Walton, who took second and third in Vets. In Elite, it was Harriet Harden and Jordan Williams who took the wins, both of them at the first national. Jack, I, I, I've been in checked, and Rachel won her first national in Elite, I think. Um, can you recall any male rider doing it though? Did Matt Walker not win his first one at Coombe Sydenham? Matt Walker at Coombe Sydenham. <sighs> was that was Coombe Sydenham the shirt? I didn't do that. What year was that? I'm, I'm diving in. Bear with me. Yeah. I'm on route some rain. Matt <laughs> and he it. was still a junior when they did Coombe Sydenham, wasn't he? He, he, he won. So Matt's first elite season was 2018. So I was at Worlds with him in 2017, and he won. So here we go. Where are we? 2018. 
Why can't I see the national in 2018? Oh, you know what? I'm on the wrong Matt Walker. I bet lots of <laughs> <laughs> Oh, looking at the Australian one. Sorry, Kiwi, is it? Kiwi. Bear with me. Yeah. You're on the right one now. I was like, why has he not done any British races? He's not English. 2018, <laughs> I knew I was right, because I remember he beat Danny. Yeah. 2018, national round one, Matt Walker, 229.5, Danny Hart, 230.8. Right, fair enough then, yeah. So, so yeah, Matt did it as well. Yeah, cool. And Harriet Harden, that's a good result, Emily? Yeah, I mean, she's... I, I didn't even know she was racing downhill, so I was no. like, whoa. <laughs> How was the track? Was it like it quite was steep? Horrible. You said some places. It was horrible. Yeah. I, I had a really bad weekend. You know, when those things go wrong at just the worst possible time. So I'd done two runs on Saturday morning. Halfway down the third run, I ripped my mech hanger off. And then you've got to go and fix it. And by the time I fixed it, practice was over. And then there's a new format this year that they're doing seeding on Saturday afternoon. So straight into a seeding run, I haven't only done two runs on on Saturday morning. Conditions were horrible. It had rained all week and it was dry on Saturday, so it was like peanut butter mud. Mm. Coming through the Star Wars bit was, for everyone else, not everyone outside Elite, but for a lot of people, it was basically unrideable. And then on Sunday, I went up to do, did two practice runs and crashed on the bottom section of my second one and thought I'd broke my finger turns out i've just done some ligament damage but so i i've come home having done in total six and a bit runs all weekend so it was it was on a track like that it was it was hard work yeah but mm-hmm. the weather's very rarely kind down there isn't it and it makes such yeah. a difference it was last year wasn't it, it was all right last year for the national. yeah um yeah it makes such a difference when it's nice weather i've just checked and <clears throat> we're up at fort william for a, a coaching camp the the three days before the national and uh, the forecast goes into the Tuesday, Wednesday, and surprise, surprise, it's rain both days. Um, but it does say low wind, so that's the main thing up yeah, there. Yeah. I don't mind the rain up there; it's mm. crosswind. Yeah. So, let's so cross the fingers. The big rumor at the national this weekend was that Reese Wilson's off track. Either of you heard that? No, I've just heard he's been falling off motorbikes like a silly boy. <laughs> that's all I heard. I messaged Reese to ask if there was any truth in it, and he said. His message back to me was, you can wind people up if you like. Nothing wrong with a bit of speculation. <laughs> so that, that's, that's not a, a clear answer either way, is it? Is he um, on Trek's UCI rider list? Don't know that. He's still listed on their Instagram and vice versa. Yeah, well, I'm sure he'll be on their UCI list if he's on their Instagram. Yeah. So maybe Reese is still on track. I haven't heard anything at all about him being off the team. Right. So, yeah, maybe just a, a, a busted rumour. It's um, looking more and more like the, the next huge battle is down, in downhill is going to be between Jordan Williams and Jackson Goldstone. But there's a young American kid called Asa Matt who might just have something to say about that. And he's just one of the things we'll be discussing with Intense Factory Racing's Aaron Gwen after these messages. Time to make your bike ride like the pros. World Cup level suspension tuning and servicing from the expert team at JTEC Suspension. Built off years of knowledge and experience, the team at JTEC Suspension will service and tune your suspension to make sure it's in tune with your riding style and terrain to shave those vital seconds off your next race run. Visit j-techsuspension.co.uk today and see how their expert team can transform your suspension performance. 
Hi, I'm Ollie Wilkins. And I'm Ben, the Deaconator Deacon. We've just spent the last week at Bride Southern Spain. Having a fantastic time. We have. We've ridden countless amounts of enduro and epic downhill trails. That's right, they have a workshop, swimming pool, pizza oven, fire pit. They've even got a donkey here, dude. You get a free beer if you ride, you know? That's all right, is that like? So we've just dropped into this first trail of the day. Cheeky little uh, off-piece line here. Nice little dusty berm at the bottom to catch you. <laughs> 600 pounds a week includes accommodation, airport transfers, six days of uplift and guiding. Check out their social media or website to book your holiday at Ride Southern Spain. Ride Southern Spain. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast the greatest rider I've ever seen, the five-time World Cup champion, Aaron Gwynn. How are you doing, Aaron? Good, brother. How are you guys? All good, thank you. Yeah, all good. Where in the world are you right now? Uh, we're at our uh, main house here in Tennessee, just pretty close to Nashville. So we, uh, we've we been on the road a little bit last month, just got home uh, Sunday night. So we kind of, uh, I kind of tried to organize a schedule to be home for the next two months so we can really hammer down before the start of the races. So yeah, man, we'll be here for uh, the near future. Cool. Um, can I just start by saying that we're coming to the end of season four of this podcast and I've become a kind of a, accustomed to messaging the, the best riders in the world, but it still freaks me out when you email me back. It just feels a bit nuts, really. <laughs> I don't, I, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> so the last time you were on the pod was in July 2021 and, and so much has happened since then. Let's start with the house. You, you just said about where you are now, but for anyone who isn't aware, you built the most amazing house in SoCal and you sold it last summer. Talk me through what was behind that decision. Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of factors, honestly, that that house for sure, when we were building it, you know, I, I had planned on it kind of being the forever dream house. You know, it was the culmination of a lot of years of hard work and uh, with my racing and all that kind of stuff. And I definitely envisioned like getting married, having a family, raising the family there, kind of all that stuff. Um, but if I've learned anything in life, it's, uh, you know, things change and priorities and desires and all that. And so we just kind of got to a point. Um, I met my wife, Lauren. We actually got, ended up getting married in the backyard of that house during COVID, which was really special. And, um, yeah, we just kind of got to the point through COVID, just the way that California was going about a lot of things were, were just, uh, it was really heavy, man. And we, we definitely didn't really agree with it. It didn't really line up with a lot of kind of our beliefs and, and, you know, desires and stuff like that. 
And um, we were at the time starting to split time between California and Montana. So we kind of had two homes and we were doing Montana in the summer and California in the winter. And as things kind of just kept getting crazier and crazier, we just felt a lot happier in Montana and, you know, with those people and kind of that vibe and belief system and stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, it was just kind of came to the point where, uh, honestly, I mean, we were (laughs) in a pretty cool spot where a lot of our closest friends felt similar and uh, you know, everybody collectively I think was like, okay, like, man, we love California and so many of the people here, but I think we're done. Like, where are we going to go? And we had been spending time in Montana, obviously, and starting to spend time here in Tennessee. We bought a little place near Windrock for like a training house for myself. And, you know, I w- so I told everybody like, Hey, maybe we check out Tennessee, like Montana is great, but obviously the winters are, are pretty brutal there. And a lot of my friends are kind of from the South originally anyway. So they kind of came out and looked around and everybody really loved the Nashville area. And so we kind of collectively with a lot of our closest friends just kind of all bailed out and (laughs) here we are in Tennessee. So uh, we love it, man. It it was tough. I mean, California to me is it's been home. I was born and raised there, Um, but I grew up out in the desert, man, like near kind of Joshua Tree, Palm Springs. So it was desert horse country much similar to the culture kind of here, you know, in Nashville, definitely a long ways from like the LA type of crowd. And we have so many good friends in California, so many cool places, but I think just with how busy it was getting. And now that I'm married and getting older, we definitely enjoy the country and having a little bit of space, a little more freedom with things and all that. So it's uh, dude, we've, we've loved it. Honestly, I was surprised, you know, living in California for so long and having so many friends there and so much, you know, with intense being there and everything, it was a little bit of a, definitely a tough decision, but um, I think we're, we're even happier than we thought we would be. So it's, uh, it's been great. That's really cool. So you've been building trails too. Are you enjoying getting your hands dirty? Yeah, it's been good. Trail building to me has been uh, probably my favorite thing since I was a little kid. You could ask my parents, you know, at five years old, I was in the yard every day after school from, probably first grade through being a senior in high school. And it was like, come home, work in the backyard on trails till dark, then go inside and do homework. Like trail building to me is, uh, I don't know, that's one of my favorite things to do. So as I'm getting older, um, my hands and stuff are being a little less cooperative. So we're starting to dig with machinery more than than shovels at times. But man, I, I love grinding on trails. So yeah, it's been fun. We have a little bit of land here um, at our place in Nashville. We've got like six acres so we've been building a little bit in the backyard and then we just bought an additional uh, hundred, just over a hundred acres, about 10 minutes from our house here. So that'll be a future project, but for sure that property will, uh, will be building a lot of stuff down the road there. I'm sure. Cool. And you, you've also started a YouTube channel. Episode four of going for six dropped recently. Are you enjoying that process? Cause some of it is, you know, really professionally shot. And other bits are a bit more low key. Are you filming and editing yourself? Have you got your head stuck into all that? Uh, <laughs> yes and no on all of it. It depends on the video. So some <laughs> videos are pretty well thought out and shot and other videos. Uh, I'll have my wife just hold an iPhone and I'll talk through handlebar setup or something basic. So I think for me, um, the channel has been a lot of fun. It, it's challenging. I'm, I'm not naturally really a a big social media guy, you know, like I don't love walking around with a camera and vlogging and all that. I think it's something I've learned to enjoy. And Lauren's definitely made it easier on me at the races because she just kind of will do a lot of the filming. Um, I've got a really good filmer and editor that I've hired full time to kind of do that so I can shoot him all the footage. And he lives here in Nashville. So when we're here and we film, it makes it easy. So 
Um, I really like doing like the instructional kind of videos though. That's kind of my passion. Yeah. I love being able to share knowledge and kind of get people excited on bike riding and, and, and trying to help them make progress and stuff like that. So that has been definitely fun, but I'm, I'm pretty critical, you know, like I don't want to put out junk. So if I'm going to film something, I want people to feel like they really gained insight and value from watching my stuff that maybe they couldn't get anywhere else. So maybe I overthink it that way sometimes, but no, it's been good overall. And I think the reaction of people is what has kind of kept me going. I kind of decided to do it for a year to see how it went. And um, I got a lot of good feedback from people that, especially on the instructional stuff that were really stoked on that. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll keep doing it then. So it's been cool. Cool. Yeah. Me, me and Cam was watching the cornering videos, learning some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> I was like, hey, Aaron, thanks for the, for the coaching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it yeah, is it's important. There's just so much junk out there, isn't there? And everybody's jumped on the YouTube bandwagon now. It's like, it's important to have a purpose with what you're doing. Otherwise it's just more crap for people to sift through. Like, so it's totally good. It's good. It's got a purpose. Yeah. And I think for me, the goal was like, when we do the videos, get straight to the point, get into it. Like don't have a bunch of fluff and hype and then not deliver, like have what you want to say, get to the point as fast as you can explain it as detailed, but short as you can and then move on. So it's uh, yeah. like I said, I'm pretty critical when I do, I could probably put out a lot more stuff people think is cool. But when I think about it, it's, I just, I want to provide value. I don't want people to feel like I ripped off 15 minutes of their time. So <laughs> that's kind of where we go mm -hmm. with it. <laughs> nice. Okay. So we recorded back at the start of July 21, as George said, and unfortunately the rest of 2021 was a little bit of a write-off. Um, you had your big crash at Mountain Creek and hurt your back. Tell us a little bit about that because we believe it was first lap of practice and you you were just chilling. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So that one was, uh, it was tough, man. And it was made a lot tougher by the last couple of years leading up to that. Um, I had injuries basically three years in a row and most of the crashes I felt like were all things that, um, you know, you say it's not my fault, but I would say I wouldn't have done anything different. You know, there's nothing I felt like I could have done to avoid it. But yeah, the Mountain Creek crash was... Uh, same thing as the last few years before that, we had a really good off season. We were doing a lot of really good work. I've been training really hard, trying to do everything we could on the bike. Um, kind of went to do a little preseason test race and I was just rolling down the hill behind Nico, I think first lap and we're just cruising first lap pace. I always kind of just get up to speed slow and I try to be real safe. And, um, we kind of came over this like blind rise where the track turns a little bit. And same section of track that's been there for the last like seven years. So I know it really well. And, uh, you know, you, you just barely catch a little air over the top and you're going kind of fast, but we were at first run speed and came over the hill. And as soon as we like kind of crested the top of the hill and the tires left the ground, I could see that there's two big kind of like softball size rocks that had rolled off the bank on the side of the track. And they were like, position like this in the middle of the trail and Nico landed right between them and I landed front wheel right on top of one and then just did a big swap and it was up on this like ledge that was probably five feet up so when I swapped and the bike ejected me I was like eight feet off the ground pretty like straight away and uh yeah I landed on my back it was a kind of one of those scary crashes I was glad I didn't land a little bit more on my butt because that could have been kind of bad so um mm -hmm. yeah it just ended up being a um SI joint injury that was like pretty deep bruised in there. And that was probably the most painful injury I've ever had. Actually, like those first two or three weeks were brutal. Like 
just trying to get into bed to go to sleep at night was like just unreal pain. Like, cause I couldn't move. I was locked in. That thing was like, so fired up. So it was, uh, it was tough, man. And then to get it to chill out and the pain to go away and then get to the point where I could kind of put stress on my back again and, and move quickly without that thing sort of like locking me up. It just took months. Like it was, yeah. and it was right at the beginning of a big stint of races. So kind of the worst time, but um, yeah, man, it was difficult. It was, uh, but that, that was how those, you know, the last three years before that have kind of been going. It was kind of one crash after another, um, that were all like these really weird circumstances. Like I said, I don't feel like I could have changed anything. You know, mm. it was, uh, just wrong place, wrong time sort of thing. And it's, uh, that's how it goes sometimes. You didn't get fit in time for worlds at Val Like, did you feel like after the three years you were just kind of like, oh, well, it, there's another one or was that a big blow were you prepped and ready and were you you know yeah it, it was tough um I think for me what I had learned over the previous two years is I had a couple injuries and and I just really I wanted to be back racing and mm-hmm. I came back too early a couple times you know just because I wanted to be out there and I was getting yeah. results that I mean I was just trying to roll down the track and get a 35th place and it wasn't accomplishing anything. It was putting myself at more risk. And I I even had a few more crashes that made things worse. And so I, I had kind of learned like, Hey man, as much as you want to be out there and this is like the most frustrating situation to be in, like you need to come back when you're ready. And so, you know, I, I wasn't too stressed on, on the Val Soul thing. And a few of those races I'd kind of learned <laughs> over the previous two years. I'm like, I don't want to show up at 70%, you know, it's, yeah. it's just not worth it. My next question was literally based around that. Would you turn up and do a world championships unfit? Are you now at the stage where unless you feel like you're in a position physically to win it, if you did have even a small injury, would you kind of stay away and just be like, well, I'm not ready. So I'm going to leave it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think for me, if I feel ready, um, you know, I don't need to do a ton of racing. If as long as I'm fit and ready and at speed, I can kind of jump right in the mix. I think maybe there's a situation if you feel like you're fully fit and healthy and you're just coming back to racing and you go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, obviously at some point you got to start racing. And, you know, if you got a goal to race yourself back into shape by the, you know, a couple rounds in, maybe you do a few rounds where, you know, okay, I'm not going to be at my best, but I'm physically a hundred percent and mentally and everything else. Like I can go race. Then, then I think there's a place for doing races when, you know, maybe you're not at your best. I mean, that's been even last year. I felt a little bit like that at the beginning of the season and you kind of know you're going to get better as the season progresses. But yeah, I think unless you're in a championship battle and you have to be on the track, at least for myself, riding with a major injury where, you know, I'm going to be at, you know, 70% is a no go. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So final rounds of 2021, um, we're in snowshoe and you went along, even though you couldn't ride, what was it like watching from the sidelines? Um, obviously I think you made a lot of fans very happy being there. Yeah. Um, it was cool, man. It was, it was hard for sure. Um, I mean, you would know like when you're at a race and you're there to be in finals day and you're there for that moment and you have to walk from the side, watch from the sidelines. It's like, I had to do it at Fort William this year after the flat and it's, it's, you'd rather be anywhere else in the world, yeah. you know, like, I just want to get on a plane, go home and get back to work. I, it's like torturous. Um, yeah. I don't watch the races live when I'm at home injured. Like I want nothing to do. I'll watch it a week or two later and study it and learn, but it's just, I mean, you want to be there. It's, it's too difficult, but 
we're in, we're in the U S we're at the home race. We got to be there anyways. We showed up hoping to ride and we couldn't. And I had missed so many races that year. I was just missing, honestly, being at the races with my team and with the fans. And so, um, that's why we went really, I knew when I went, we weren't going to race. And, uh, so I just wanted to hang out with everybody that week and just have a good time. So, um, it was cool. I got to walk down the side of the track with Lauren. She's not seen a world cup finals like that before. So we yeah. kind of started at the top and worked our way to the bottom for the last few riders and, uh, kind of got to see all the fans on the way down the track. And, and that was really cool. Like everybody was really stoked, got to talk with a lot of people and, and kind of just watch the race with the fans. So, um, I've never done that before, so it was definitely hard to do. Um, but it, it was really fun, especially after missing so much time. I just kind of wanted to be at the races at that point. So yeah, it was cool. I can't imagine what it's like to be in that position at Snowshoe because everybody talks about the crowd at Fort William and the crowd in France, but <clears throat> my crowd, my hmm. favorite crowd is by far the American snowshoe crowd. They're like, <laughs> even being English, they're just so behind every rider. Like you stop to look at a line and people are just like shouting at you and going, Hey man, you get it. And it's just like it's such an amazing <laughs> environment. So yeah, being able being in that position you were in must've been obviously hard, but I bet it was, uh, I bet it was fun as well. Yeah. The fans definitely made it fun for sure. So it was cool. We would kind of like walk down, hang out with a group of fans, watch four or five riders, then move down a little bit. And we just slowly worked our way down. So I feel like by the time we got to the bottom, we had kind of said hi and seen everybody on the hill. So it nice. was, uh, it was definitely cool. So moving into 2022, um, you announced two new guys on the team, um, Dak Norton and Joe Breeden. I've I known both of them well. Um, and both uh, very different characters. So <laughs> tell us a bit about what those two guys are bringing to the table and uh, how, how that's working in the team. Yeah, yeah, it's been awesome, dude. As you said, I, I think you couldn't have two different personalities <laughs> in certain ways <laughs> and similar in other ways. Um, yeah, with Joe, we had started talking pretty early in the off season. Um, you know, I think he was kind of looking for a change up and, and I just have always really liked Joe. He's just like a really good kid. He works really hard. He's probably like the most, one of the most genuinely nice guys you could ever talk to in the pits. Like that dude would, I feel like do anything for anybody at any time. Um, and I, and I feel like he's just, he's had a rough go for a few years with injuries. Kind of like I have, he's had some flashes of brilliance where he shows up and qualifies first or wins a preseason race. Like he does things on a bike that you're like, wow, that was amazing. Mm. Um, but he's just kind of been plagued with injuries and kind of struggled with certain things. So I felt like with where we were going with the program and things we could add, um, you know, he would be a good fit for the team and kind of what we were looking for. And so, yeah, after talking to him, I think we hit it off straight away. And I, I just really liked where his head was at and kind of, um, yeah, I mean, obviously he has the speed on the bike and everything, but he's just a good dude. So it was, uh, that was a, a pretty easy fit for us. So we were just kind of working out the details on, um, you know, how we were going to make that deal happen. And, and I kind of just presented it like, Hey man, we're here for you. If you can do it, uh, great. We want you. And if not, like I'm still here for you, I'll have five you on the way out and, you know, wish you, wish you the best. So fortunately it worked out. Um, so that was kind of with him. And then with Dakota, honestly, it was, uh, that was a pretty last minute deal. We didn't really have an opening on the team for a, a fourth rider. Um, but Dakota's deal fell through with YT last minute. They just decided to kind of, I think, drop the team or whatever they did at the time. So he was kind of left without a ride last minute. Um, and we had talked a little bit in the past and I had thought about putting him on the team kind of for years. Cause he's again, like an amazing talent on a bike. And I feel like all, all kinds of potential. 
Um, but the contract years were always like misaligned. Like when my contract was up and we were signing riders, he was already on a team and vice versa. And so it, it kind of just never worked out. And so when he got in a spot where it was like, Hey, I don't have a ride anymore. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep racing. I think he had some other deals and they were trying to get him to ride enduro and different stuff. And uh, so, you know, I had talked to him and I'm like, okay, let me figure this out. So <laughs> he basically got together with all the sponsors on the team. And I'm like, Hey, I really want to get him on the team. Can you guys help out? And so the sponsors pitched in and I just made up the rest of what we needed to pay him from my own salary. And we just got him on the team. So, um, yeah, with Dakota, man, I think we've hung out quite a bit over the last few years with him being so close to Nico and and that crew that I kind of have been close with for a long time. So, um, I knew him, I knew of his speed. I've seen his results. We've been on the podium multiple times together and I felt like I could give him a program that would really work for his personality and kind of where he's at. I felt like, um, you know, there's, there's certain people that Dakota does and doesn't work well with, <laughs> I think. And I felt like we could be a really good kind of place for him to sort of thrive and be able to learn and kind of be himself and, and kind of give him what he needs to do good. And I, and I feel like he brought a lot to the team as well with his speed and work ethic and everything. So I felt like I would benefit he would benefit and the whole team, all the riders as a whole would all be built up with him on the program. So, um, that's how that came together. And, uh, it worked out good, man. Now that we live here in Tennessee and we ride and train together, we've become good friends now. And, uh, it's really been fun, man. We have a, a lot of fun at the races together. I feel like we've got a cool friendship and stuff now. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it's worked out really good. Um, we got a bunch of good dudes on the team for sure. Yeah, that's meant nice. I remember the first first time I properly met Dak, he was standing waist deep in the Lenzide Lake, screaming, I don't want it. I don't need it. I don't like it. <laughs> About how cold the water was. And there's just all these European people just standing there looking at him like, what is he doing? I think he was with Nico and a couple of the other American lads. <laughs> he just... We went over, we were chatting away with me and Micro, and he just had us crying, laughing. He's such like a naturally funny guy. So I, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. jealous he's, uh, he's under your tent. I've, he's always been one of the riders that I've been like, oh, if I had the budget, that is definitely one of the guys I'd want to sign. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's kind of full package. For sure. So. Yeah, never a dull moment. Yeah, we laugh in the pits with him because he's got to have his, his – man- he's getting better now, but he's <laughs> got to have his mandatory meltdown be- before every qualifying and finals race. <laughs> And it doesn't matter. Like we just went through it at the national here in Tennessee a few weeks ago or world champs. Like he'll have a, he'll roll around on the floor in the pits. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this anymore. This is stressing me out. Just yelling. And we'll have sponsors and people in the tent and they're looking at you like, is he okay? And I'm like, oh, he does this every race. He'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, so it's just funny. It's, it's become a joke within the team now where we just, we kind of laugh and we have fun with it. And uh but he delivers under pressure, man. Like he can be fully yeah. stressed, but he's one of those guys that doesn't fall apart. He can get in the gate and then make it happen. So uh, as long as you do that, then you can yell all you want. Yeah, <laughs> so sure. it's been fun, but it's also been cool. Like I've got a little bit of experience and I've kind of done it and I've been through really high highs and really low lows. So to be able to kind of relate with him and kind of give him the comfort, like, dude, we're going to do the best we can this weekend, but it's still, it's bike racing. It's not like if you yeah. don't perform, uh, me and the team are going to hate you and your self-worth goes down the tubes. It's like, we still love you, dude. Just do the best you can and yeah. we'll regroup and we'll do the same thing next weekend. So I think having a little bit of that security and comfort 
Um, I think he's enjoying his racing, you know, through his own words last year more than he ever has. So it's, yeah. it's been cool to kind of help him enjoy the stress a little more than just hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So moving on, uh, 2022, you started the season outside the top 60, um, and that didn't help at all, I guess. And I think you only, well, like all of us, did you get three practice runs at Lodge? I, th- I think I got four. Can you remember how many you got? Yeah, I think I got three. Um, and then a big crash. Yeah, so it, it started out rough again. We came into the Lords feeling good. We had real minimal time on that new bike, and there was a few things on it that were a little off um, that we found out a little later. But it was, I feel like we had good momentum. Like, definitely we're in it for, you know, hoping for some top tens, uh, which Dakota ended up making happen. I think he got ninth or something. Um, but yeah, practice because I had missed so many races the year before I wasn't in a practice and the shuttle lines, as you know, were like three hours long or something. So we literally waited in line all day to do three runs. Um, and I, I can't remember if it was the end of practice. I think it was the morning of qualifying day. Uh, so it would have been my fifth run, my last run before qualifying. I was, I was starting to click and feel good for only having five runs on the track. And I was coming through a section and doing a line a little different than a lot of the guys were doing at the time. And I, I hugged this course tape pole really close. And I think my back wheel kind of skipped out and hooked. And when it did that, it, I clipped my pedal on the uh, course tape pole and it just like, I didn't know it hit me. It's like when you hook a pedal, everything's going great. And then all of a sudden you're like flying through the air. And so it was a pretty huge crash and I belly flopped like right on one of the worst parts of the track where you could land. And I landed my hand really hard and kind of cut it up. And, um, it was tough, man, because it was, that's been the last few years, you know, you get a lot of momentum going, you're like, okay, we're finally here to race. We're riding good. You feel like you're riding well within your comfort zone. And then you just have a a huge crash. And, and so thankfully, um, I didn't have a major injury. Um, my hand was pretty banged up, so it was hard to hold on for the rest of the weekend. And it kind of shook me up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I had that big crash and I, I can't remember. I think we qualified in the thirties and we finished in the thirties and, um, it was frustrating that race for sure. I remember being pretty upset in the pits after finals and kind of being like, like, Here we go again. Yeah. you know, you just, you're doing what you can do. I was happy to still be racing, but it was just a same deal. But dude, that's, that's how it goes. Sometimes you go through these. For sure. I don't know with racing, you know, like I've been on the opposite end of it where you're winning everything and you're having sketchy moments, but you're just barely saving it or you crash and you ha- you land in the right spot, not the wrong spot. And you feel like you can get away with anything. Like it's just, it's working. And then you have other times where it's like, you feel like if you tip over in the parking lot, you're going to like dislocate a finger or something. So it's, <laughs> it's just like, it can go either way, man. So you got to take the ups with the downs. Definitely. So then Moving to Fort William, you've already mentioned this, but you flattered in quali. Um, first time you hadn't qualified in, in 14 years of racing World Cups. When you look back now, obviously it was a low point, but how did you feel in Fort William when you had to, as you say, sit in the car park and watch everybody else race? Yeah, I think at that point, dude, I mean, I'm coming out of whatever it was, two or three years of just consistent, pretty horrible things happening. And you just kind of, you kind of laugh, you know, like you get to Fort William and you go, okay, we're not protected. Like, for the first time you actually need to qualify and all you got to do is just get down the hill and qualifying. And I felt good in qual in uh, practice. We got in more runs and I'm like, okay, started my qualifying run. It was going great. And, uh, it was one of the slowest turns on the track. There's just a big mud hole and I just kind of pushed into it and there must've been a real sharp rock sticking out in the middle of the hole. 
and it just cut the side of the tire and that was the end of the run. So I was like a minute and a half in and it was like, wow, okay. Like worst case thing has happened. We are flatting and not qualifying right now. <laughs> so it was, uh, <laughs> it was tough, but I think, I don't know, as I said, I, I just am always very focused on trying to do the best that I can with what I have and the results just going to be the result and stuff like that. I don't feel like for me, I would have really could have done anything different. So I'm like, all right, if, if this is a, this is a test then I'm up for the challenge, I'm just going to kind of stay the course and, and keep doing the best I can and, uh, hope, hope things will work out down the road. So, um, yeah, I, I always feel as frustrated as I am in those moments, I guess I'm, I feel content because I know the work that I put in to get there. Uh, it's one thing to show up and you haven't been training in the off season and you haven't put in the work and you know, you're not in a good spot and then you make mistakes and have issues because you didn't do your part like that. Yeah. I would have a very hard time going to sleep at night, but mm. when you feel like you're doing everything you can and things just aren't working out, it's like, well, uh, what can you do? Like to me, I'm like, well, God's obviously allowing things to get in the way right now. And it is what it is. I'm going to keep doing my part and you know, I'll trust that it'll work out down the road. And if it doesn't, then it won't be because of lack of effort on my yeah. part, you know, and I'll be content even though, it's not a happy situation. So <laughs> I just try to focus there. But I think I've always believed, you know, if I could get some consistent runs and get the bike working, I still have what it takes to win. And that never really wavered. So to me, it's like, well, just another setback. It's just a matter of time. We'll get it back on track. Just yeah. keep cruising down the road. So that's what we did. But it's uh, not easy in the moment. Definitely tough. No, I, I knew I knew how you felt. I, I was 28th at the second split and then I punctured in that quality at Fort Bill and I had to go and run a 10k I was like I'm going and I just yeah. kind of left the tent I was like I need to clear <laughs> my head like totally. as you say, it's, it's tough you've done all that work and then it's snatched away when it was nothing necessarily that you did so yeah I know for you for sure so I'm not going to shy away from saying it I thought you you might be done stars how that could you <laughs> stars that shine the brightest don't usually last the longest and you had an amazing run you'd gone from completely dominating a sport to battling injury after injury and from the outside it was almost painful to watch you kind of just want it to end if you know what I mean and what I mean by that is that you've done things on a bike that are of such a level that you're like a superhero or something. So seeing you struggling for form, it's like when Superman kind of loses his powers. Oh, it's like, oh, oh he, is, he is human after all. The one thing you can't control is other people's perceptions of you. But tell us a little bit about how you dealt with that. Did you feel that? How do you manage to never lose positivity? Um, I think a lot of it for me comes down to my faith. And I've said that in the past, you know, I, yeah. I truly believe when the Lord, you know, in his word says he promises to work all things out for good to those who love him. And it's like, and I've always seen that to be true in my life. And maybe that doesn't mean success in an area, but overall good, like whether it's my own personal growth or success down the road or whatever. And I, I really am a, a believer of like, the hard times make the good times way, way better. Um, you know, I, I've had a lot of success and a lot of failures, definitely more failures than success over, you know, racing bikes or motocross since I was four years old. Um, so I kind of have that perspective. So I think for me, um, yeah, I always believed I still had the speed, you know, it wasn't like I was riding and all of a sudden I started getting smoked. I mean, it was literally like, just it, like I said, by the end of the third year, it was, 
you know, I had to laugh at it to not get too frustrated because it was just crazy how, like, I'm not a huge believer in luck, but there is an element of luck. You know, if you get a flat tire, you do something and you're like, dude, I don't, you know, what could I have done? Like, I could have picked another line, I guess, but who would have known that there was a sharp rock in the middle of that mud hole that wasn't there in practice? Like, I don't know. It's like, or you come over a blind rise and you land on a rock that is literally only going to be there when I landed on it. And then I kicked it off the track and nobody else is at risk. Like, it's like, that's just, I don't know, that's life. And so for me through those years, I, I just believed that I still had the speed, you know, when I started doing bad, the circumstances that led to that happening, um, things were going good. Like, and I think it was 2019 or whenever it was my last win, 2018, I won Croatia. We went to Fort William. Um, I was leading qualifying, got a flat tire, still qualified, like a top 15 or something. I think, uh, got into finals was leading finals to the last split. Then I was going through that man-made rock garden and one of those rocks in the hole had come loose and it was in the shadow. So you couldn't see it. And I leaned into the same line, the exact same way I'd been doing it all weekend, didn't know that rock was loose. And as soon as my front wheel hit it, it like rolled in the hole. And I went over the bars and blew my thumb out and all that. So it was like, well, like, what would I have done different? There was three or four guys that had the exact same crash that day because that rock had come loose and nobody knew about it. Um, so that started that. Then I did a couple races injured with the thumb that I shouldn't have done probably, but I just wanted to keep pushing through. I think I podium the next weekend actually with like not even hardly being able to ride down the track and then hurt myself worse later in the year, redid the thumb that pretty much polished that year off, came back the following year, um, was feeling pretty good and had a freak thing happen. Like I think I maybe broke one carbon crank in 10 years when I hit it on the ground really hard. And, uh, yeah. Flat landed a jump at Mountain Creek at a national and the crank broke and I just completely exploded my ankle. Um, so I like couldn't hardly walk, ride the bike, anything. We went to Fort William like a week or two later <laughs> and hoping I could race. Uh, my race bike got stolen in the van when we got there. And so we rebuilt up a practice bike. I went out and practiced, did two runs, flat landed the finish line jump, broke the same crank arm and just that was maybe the most mad I've ever been because my ankle was destroyed and I did the exact same thing, folded it back under the bike. So then I got into Fort William finals. I couldn't walk, but I could stand on the bike. So I'm like, let's give this a go and see how it goes. <laughs> and then I had probably the biggest crash of my whole life where the thing exploded and I was flying through the air. Yeah. And so that happened. Uh Went to Leo gang the next weekend, <laughs> still on an ankle that I couldn't walk on, got on the podium. And then I think we went to Andorra or something was the next race. And I, I got caught in the dust in practice, crossroad, hit a tree and I blew out both my shoulders. So it was like, it was just this like comical, like string of events where I was like, what's it going to be this weekend? <laughs> like, it was just one thing after the other. Um, so it was tough. And then we, we put in a lot of training, came back from that. And then we had the thing last year or two years ago where I landed on that rock and did my back. So it was like, but in between that, like I was still podium like would be on the podium at a race, you know, or that the COVID year, we had a lot of momentum coming into the preseason of that race. Then COVID happened. We took five months off or whatever, came back at the end of the year. And I felt like by Portugal, I podiumed this, the first round at Portugal. And the second one, I felt like I had speed to win it. And uh, we had a rain come down and I, I just didn't make it happen that race, but I felt like we ended the year like with a shot to win a race again. And then we went into that next year and then I did my back. And so it was just like, it's a, like I said, I, I think 
for me, I've been racing a long time and I went through a streak identical to that when I raced motocross between, I mean, I never broke a bone growing up racing bikes, motocross, everything until I was 16 years old. And I mean, for a lot of people, they're like, oh, well, you're only 16. It's like, yeah, but I've been racing and doing crazy stuff since I was four. So that's pretty rare. Like I've always been a very safe, calculated rider. And uh, when I turned 16, it was the same thing. It was one thing after another. Like I got landed on at a national and broke my arm. And then I got wind blown off a jump and broke my foot. And I dislocated my shoulder in the driveway riding a pit bike. And it was just like, things just kept happening those last couple of years where it was like, just nothing was going right. And uh, so I, I kind of had that in the back of my head. I'm like, sometimes you go through stages, man, where you you're doing everything you can and you're battling and you're training. And I had the best off seasons that I ever had those few years. I mean, the motivation that I had <laughs> and the time I had to train was unreal. Like I had no lack of any of that and I was getting after it. And then we get to the race and have another setback. So it was uh as hard as it was, I still was seeing enough along the way where I was like, if I can just get a few races under my belt, healthy and a good bike, like we should be able to challenge for podiums, but it's hard because the pace has been picking up every year and there's more and more fast guys. And, uh, so it was, um, it was challenging, man, for sure. It was challenging. And you gotta, you know, you gotta listen to everybody else's commentary <laughs> along the way. Yeah. Well, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they're pointing the finger at all kinds of stuff. And for me, it's like, you know, the integrity you have, you know, you're working so hard and you're doing everything. It's just like, you can't catch a break. So, um, I just kept thinking like, when it comes back around, it's going to feel even better. And if it doesn't, it <laughs> won't be for lack of effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, life changes, doesn't it? And priorities change. You, you, as you say, you've got married and things like that. Um, do you still want to win as bad as you did back when you were 17? Yeah, for sure. I think I, I still want to win as bad. I would just say it's different now, you know, and I, I was thinking about it a little bit the other day. I was chatting with somebody, but you kind of have that, like, when you're growing up, you want to win because it just seems like the biggest, best thing you could ever do. And then you finally get it and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. But then there's a race the next weekend. And now it's like, okay, well, it's <laughs> like try to win again or now you've lost. So it's like, it never really ends. So being able to win as much as I did, um, you kind of get to the point where you don't need it the same way. And for me, you still want to win, but you don't, you don't put the weight on it in the wrong ways, I guess. Like you have to have it to feel like you've achieved something. It's like, no, that's great. And I want to win. But like, you realize like, I can't determine the outcome of that. I can definitely increase the odds of being successful if I'm training hard and doing everything I need to do to try to win. But uh, the racing is going to go as it goes. You know, if I've learned anything like, man, you cannot control, you can do everything right and have the worst race of your life. Or sometimes go into a weekend where you feel like, nothing is lining up and you end up winning. Like it's, it's all over the place. So I think for me, I don't have the same value on winning as far as like how it makes me feel as a person. It's a bike race, you know? And, um, so that I feel like almost allows me to race better because it's yeah. like, I'm just here to do my best and I want to enjoy it and enjoy my time with the team. And I want to be happy with my race run and feel like I gave it everything I have and wherever that puts me, then, then, okay, we'll reassess and we'll go from there. So, um, yeah, I feel like I still want to win just as bad. I would just say maybe the motivation behind why is a, a little different now. Yeah. Nice. So, um, Aaron, you, you mentioned, uh, race nerves before talking about DAC. Um, and yeah, athletes tend to like create some pressure in their minds as well when they go racing. So did you feel more pressure 
when you were, like you said, winning every weekend or in the last few seasons when it was like struggling to get results? Um, I think a little bit of both. There's kind of different kinds of pressure, I guess. I, I always feel like the pressure that I put on myself is a lot heavier when I know I can win because I, I know that it's, it's there. And so my feeling on race day is like, okay, you've got a shot at winning today. There's a certain excitement and kind of, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but anticipation that kind of comes along with knowing you're in that position mm. and you have the ability to have a shot at it. So I always feel a little more, little more locked in and a little more serious on those days as far as pressure goes than when I show up and I know like, okay, like realistically at Lords last year after practice, I go, okay, like I kind of know where I'm at. I know where the bike's at. I kind of know like... I'm probably not going to win today. And, you know, so I'm going to have the best run. I just need to lay a foundation that we can build on. And hopefully we can get back to that later in the season. So I will feel a little less pressure in those moments because it's, you know, to me, I don't feel like realistically there's probably not a win. You know what I mean? A good result would yeah. be like a top 10 or a top 15. Mm. So, but when you get up to that point, like I did kind of by the end of the last season, you know, when you get to Val de Sol and you have the qualifier and you're like, okay, like, I think I could win this race tomorrow. Like we're finally back to form where I feel like we have a shot to really challenge for a win here. It's uh, there's a certain sort of pressure that I put on myself and I wouldn't say it's bad. It's like a excited anticipation. So it's just different. I think the part that is hard and I don't really accept the pressure, but when things are going bad, I know the work I'm putting in and what I'm doing, but if you're not really close to me in kind of my circle and you just see like you guys have seen the results not being there and you don't know the reasons why and you kind of see things falling apart or the sponsors are kind of like start to get a little like, hey, like, you know, <laughs> when you go to negotiate the contracts sure. and stuff, you can see they're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're losing a little bit of faith. That part is difficult um but it is what it is i mean it's that's racing you know you're you're judged on the results hard so you i wouldn't be right to expect anything else so yeah i'd say the pressure is there it's just it's different and i i view pressure not the, the pressure i feel the most like i said is 100 from myself earlier on in my career it was maybe a little bit of a mix i've always been very competitive with myself i just want to have the runs i feel like i'm happy with um, and I hate getting beat even till today, even if I know there's like reasons why, and <laughs> yeah, it's just where you're at this weekend. It's like, yeah, but I still got to get back there. It's like, not, I hate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, when, when you feel like you can win, I, I just want to do good, you know, for me, you know, and for the sponsors. So it's just different, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on to the next round of that 2022 season, Leo Gang, you see that 12th and finishes 11 and uh, Lanza Hyde, you see that 17th and finished 11th again. Um, that was pretty decent results. So how good did it feel to be back in the mix again? It was good. It was definitely fun. Those were the first two races where, like you said, I think I felt that way. I'm like, okay, we're back in the mix. Like we're in the lead group. Uh, you know, once you get up into the top 10, another second or two here or there can definitely easily put you on the podium. Um, I was happy with my riding. Leo Gang has been really muddy the last few years, and that bottom section of the track went from being probably my strongest section of any track of my whole career, the old the old section of track, mm -hmm. and yeah. the new one being probably like, if I was just going to line out what is the type of stuff that I'm probably the worst at, <laughs> that new section <laughs> I built, built it for you. that would be it. I'm like, it went from my best section of track to my worst <laughs> section of track, and 
my splits were really good there last year. I was learning how to ride that stuff. Well, I think I was one of the fastest guys down there and, uh, the track was really gnarly last year. So I was, I was just happy with my riding. I felt like we were progressing in the right way. Switzerland felt even better. Um, times were really tight there. I had a few mistakes towards the bottom of the track that kind of held me back from being closer to the podium there, but I felt like we were starting to close in on it. And I was starting to feel like just doing practice runs and going through the routine on the weekend. Like it was starting to feel comfortable. Like I was meshing with the bike and fitness was back good and everything was kind of clicking. So I, I felt like we were headed in the right direction and it was kind of just a matter of time before, you know, we were just going to kind of slowly keep climbing. At least that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. So the next one was Andorra. There's a, a new track that year. Um, perhaps the most uh, SoCal track of the season, we could say that. Uh, very dusty and fast. You see that fourth and finish um, you've seeded fifth, sorry, and finished fourth, just two and a half seconds of the win. So that was like a step further as well. How did it feel to be back on the box and what kind of confidence boost did that give you? It was good for sure. Um, I felt really good there all weekend. I feel like with the bike we had last year, that type of track definitely suited that bike. Um, as did places like Val Sol, like the ones that were real steep and fast and kind of gnarly, the, that bike excelled there. Um, yeah, I felt good all weekend and I felt comfortable. I felt like Yeah, we had good momentum going and all that. My race run felt good. That was probably the first race for sure in finals where I felt like I had a shot at winning it if I put it together. Um, I had a bit of a mistake in the middle there, I think, if I remember right. But I, I had some good splits and kind of just felt good. Like the, the fire was definitely burning. Like I felt like, all right, we've got the program and everything kind of together. Like we should be a podium guy now. Like it's it's finally starting to click and, and kind of get back on track. So Yeah, that race was really fun. I really loved that track. It was it was just really fun to ride, kind of my style of track and uh the opposite of the uh Leo Gang <laughs> in section. <laughs> and uh so it was it was fun. It was it was definitely cool just to be back on a podium. It had been a while, so it was it felt good. Yeah, and you had national champs um right after and that got you by 1.5 second. Was it bittersweet to lose to your teammate? Um, yeah, I think it's bittersweet mm -hmm. to lose, but I, I've told Dakota because I can tell, like, I think he, he thought coming onto the team, like, I'd be pissed if he beat me or something, but I'm like, dude, you're on our program. I'll give you everything I can to like try to get you winning these races. And, and I tell him, like, if there's one guy that's going to beat me at the race, I genuinely hope it's you. Like, and I mean it. Like, if, if somebody's got to beat me, I hope it's him. Um, It's great for the team. It's great for him. Like I said, being friends with him now, like I, I really enjoy seeing him being successful and, and the payoff for all his hard work. So, um, and for me being a team owner now, I'm like intense going one, two. I'm like, all right, yep, I guess I'm just number two today. Like, oh, whatever. <laughs> so I was happy for him. I'd <laughs> definitely rather him beat me than somebody else. Uh, But I would say it always sucks to get second. doesn't matter who beats you. So that'll never change. <laughs> It's nice to hear you say that because... Uh, Obviously, I've got Dan Slack on my team with me. And <clears throat> when he came up from junior into elite, we went through this kind of weird phase where I think Dan struggled with the process of what you've just described. Um, and I think he also just wanted to just beat me all the time. And uh, we've worked our way through that through a similar way you've described. And it's so nice now we're in this position where he understands that if he does good, and he beats me, then it's fine because he rides for my program and it's like, I win on two levels. Like my friends done well, my teammates done well, but it's exactly the same as what you say. Like 
you you also you, you don't like getting beat so it's, for sure uh, it's funny to hear you describe the same thing for sure my goal is to put him in a position to where he can win every yeah. weekend if i can help with that i'm all in um and he helps just as much as i help him you know it goes both ways and so it is different i think being a team owner and kind of being a little bit older now and just kind of being like hey if i'm not the fastest guy then then okay somebody was better than me you know but yeah it's definitely a trickier dynamic if you're not running Graham, or if you're in a different spot because you are kind of fighting for the same ride with somebody else so a lot yeah. of guys if they're if there's one guy they want to beat, it's their teammate because yeah. you're like dude we're yeah. fighting for the, mm. the the same ride and if he beats me consistently maybe he stays on the team next year and i go so i've had but i've had that in the past i mean troy and i were teammates and we were both fighting for a title on specialized but we were great friends and we had a great time and it was like may the best man win i think downhill is cool because you're still responsible for your own stuff you know it's one guy on the track at a time you know if it was a motocross race and you got your teammate in front of you and you're like mm, do i clean him out for the yeah. championship like <laughs> in downhill it's like yeah. yep it's 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 all on you if you get beat it's your fault so um yeah. Yeah, I'd say for me, like we we got a good dynamic, but I could see, you know, on different teams, if you're younger fighting for rides, like it can be a tricky dynamic, but I think it's it's always best to just focus on yourself. Definitely. Nice. No, so moving on, snowshoe. Um, you got 14th. I think you had um you hit a tree in your race run, so you were on to a good one. And then uh, fourth in Montanan, eighth at Worlds in Leger. So you were like on the road again constantly in the top 10 how'd that feel it was good yeah it was nice i felt like we were building every weekend um and i felt like the results in my riding were good like i was getting to be i was very comfortable at that pace i was riding i was still the goal has been to have a building year to hold at the end of the year and the beginning of this year to be challenging for wins again that was the goal the whole year so i really tried to stay patient and be consistent with my riding um And we rode some of the gnarliest tracks I think I've ever ridden in my whole career last year. Like even snowshoe when it was wet at the top. And like, mm. it just seemed like every weekend was like, we walked the track and I'd be like, this looks like the gnarliest thing I've ever ridden. And then you go to the next race and you're like, well, maybe this one actually, like they were really sketchy. And uh, a lot of the top guys were having big crashes throughout the year, like almost every race. And, and that was something I was really happy about with myself personally is I had that crash in Lords in practice where I clipped that course pole and crashed. And then from that race all the way to qualifying day in Val de Sol, I didn't have a tip over all year. Jesus like I didn't Christ. crash one time for wow. five months, all the way through those muddy, sketchy, gnarly races. Like I never hit the ground. Um, so I was doing it very comfortably. Like I was trying to be on the podium, but I was just very much trying to ride within my limits and just For me, I've always wanted to build that foundation. I don't want to feel like I need to take insane risk to win a race. I just want to be good enough to like, you definitely got to ride that limit, but it's not like I couldn't go back up and do that run again. You know, I was finishing and being like, yeah, I still got more speed, but I didn't take a lot of risk. We were pretty good. We're keeping the bike off the ground. So yeah, I, I crashed in practice in Lords, And then I had <laughs> in Val de Sol, I was feeling really good in practice. And on qualifying day, my last practice run right before qualifying, I got a front flat and I decided to ride down the track with a front flat. And I one of the sections probably should not have done that. And I tried to hop off a rock with a tire on the rim and I tucked the front on the rock and endowed with a front flat. And that was the only other crash I had all year. So I was... I was happy with that because it was definitely the gnarliest tracks and conditions I've ever rode. And we went for like five or six rounds where 
I, I literally didn't have a tip over. So, um, I was happy about that. Like just the consistency was what I was looking to get back last year. And I felt like by the end of the year, uh, we were accomplishing that. So it was good. Yeah, I think it's definitely an easier way to be consistently competitive. If you're riding up to the line, not over it all the time, then like you said, you're constantly on your bike, you're constantly getting splits, you're doing that repetition and then it's repeatable. Whereas if you're just kamikaze down the hill as fast as you can possibly go and then three times you might get it right and then you have a big crash and you have to reset. And so, yeah, it's, it's a really smart way to race. And I think for any young riders and racers listening, like they should they should take that on board and go, you know, like two crashes in a season. Yeah. Like that is insane. Like, yeah. So, yeah. And it yeah. should have been one. The flat tire was a dumb well. on my part to try to ride down. <laughs> but yeah, it was good. I mean, it's not that you go easy. I mean, I had a couple of moments, like I almost had a big one in my race run and Andorra. Um, you know, there was a few moments that were a little wild, but it, it was good to stay off the ground. Like you said, if you're going to try to build a foundation strong, like you just need to be able to put in the reps. And I felt like after three years of just missing so many races and so many things, my goal was like, just be in the mix by the end of the year and just log laps and put a time on the board every weekend. Like that was the goal. And it started rough, but thankfully <laughs> by the end of the year, uh, we were able to do that. And, you know, I knew that if I was able to to log those laps and do that, that we would be back in the mix. I just needed time. So thankfully nothing crazy happened and we were able to get it. Yeah. The other thing that anyone listening to that and thinking I'm going to do that, they need to remember that the amount of work you will be doing behind the scenes in the gym, on the trail bike to, to get that strength. So you can hang on to the thing. And like you say, not have the crashes, just have the, the nearly moments is, is super important as well. So yeah, that's sure. interesting to hear. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like you can't control it. Like no. the year before that was the game plan and you land on a loose rock or you hit something just wrong and it lines up and you have it. It's like, it's really hard to do. You know, it doesn't always work that way, but uh, I was thankful it did last year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. So final race of the season was Val de Sol. We've mentioned it already. Um, you finished fourth. Um, you guys were team of the weekend as well with Dak in third. Um, I think after the race, like, were you frustrated you didn't win or were, or were you like, no, that, that was a good run. I'm happy with that. It was a good way to end the season. What was the feeling in the pits after that? Yeah, I, I, for sure. Excitement, happiness, all that dominated the moment for sure. It, it was a bummer because I felt like I had speed to win. Um, that qualifying crash, I messed my hand up. And if there's one thing that you need good at Valdisol is strong hands. And so that was really frustrating. Like I didn't think I was going to even race my qualifying round after I had that crash because my hand ballooned up and was all bruised. And so I kind of taped it around the bar a little bit and like got it as good as I could get it. And, uh, we qualified well. Um, but I paid the price for it that night after riding on, you know, the hand. So it, it was pretty sore on race day. And so it was a bummer. Like I knew I was going to, I was really going to struggle the last half of that track with that kind of injury. And I did, but it was good to still be on the podium. But I think overall, like Dakota went through some big struggles through the middle of last season. I felt like he had speed, speed to be on the podium at three or four more races and even win a few of those. And he had weird crashes and things happen. So for him to get back on the podium at the end of the year, I was really excited for him, excited for myself and just excited for the whole team. Like we ended top team of the weekend both guys on the box, the new bike, like after the ups and downs and the drama the last three years and like the amount of work we put in both personally and then intense as a brand with the bikes and all the stuff, like 
it, it was just really nice to finally kind of give them something good and something that the whole company and ev- the whole team could celebrate. Cause it's not just me. I mean, like my team manager, Todd, uh, my mechanic, John, like all these guys, they're the ones next to me when I roll into the pits with, you know, broken shoulders and right off of injuries and all that, like they see the disappointment and the tears and the hard work and all the stuff, you know, over the last three years. So they're grinding it out just as much as we are, you know, it's, so it was really nice to just like celebrate a really good end of the season as a team and kind of enjoy that moment together. Cause it's, it's been a hard couple of years. Like <laughs> the boys, yeah. I'm, I'm proud of them, man. They've stuck through some rough times and they've overcome all kinds of stuff with me. So I'm, I'm very thankful to have them. So that felt good for sure. More, more happy than bummed hundred percent. Perfect way to it. Like go into the off season. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And if you're going to go into a big, long off season, going in good, but still like ah, motivated, like, yeah. it, it felt good. So it was a good spot to be because it's it's been a long off season. So I was happy we we didn't end the last race sucking. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Just before we move on, Val de Sol, there was lots of talk about the track and there were kind of some comments that the track was too gnarly. And I mean, like yourself, I've been racing that one since 2010. I've I've always loved it and I've seen the track change and evolve. What are your thoughts on on what that track was like? Did you think it was too gnarly or were you happy? What what was your feeling? Um, I loved it. I thought we've raced there years past where it was a lot worse, like where there just was not a line that you can find. Like the whole thing was destroyed. There was no catch berms. Like it didn't flow. Like it, it was just so much. It was like, dude, part of that might've been some of the bikes that I was riding. You know, when you have a bike that doesn't work good at Valdezol, like you are going to get punished. So, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I felt like that was the perfect bike for our track. Um, Dakota and I were both strong. It definitely fits our strengths of being a creative rider line wise, being strong, being comfortable, like really smashing through the big stuff. Um, so I love the track. It was probably my favorite track of the year. Um, so on that hand, I think it was amazing and it was perfect. And I'm glad it was how it was. But if it would have rained, <laughs> I would do a 180 degree turn and say, like, I do not want to ride down that. Like that would have been like, oh man, so gnarly. So it's hard, dude. I mean, that I thought that track was was really good in the dry. Like at least to have a track on the circuit once a year that's that brutal, I think is yeah. really cool. But if you ended up with one of those races where it was raining and stopping and raining and stopping just at the right level, like it has at Leo gang and yeah. you get Leo gang at Val de Sol, like everybody dies. Nobody makes it down the hill. I think like yeah. it would have been pretty sketchy. So yeah, we, we need spikes. On spikes. Yeah. yeah. If the sun stays out, I love it. If it rains, I want no part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Great summary. Okay. So after Fort William then, that was six World Cups and World Champs, and you finished fourth three times, eighth, 11th twice, and 14th, eighth in the overall. So I, I think we can say that's real consistent. Were you happy with, you've described what you went out to do last year, set yourself up for 2023. Were you happy? Did you, at the end of it all, did you go, right, yeah, I've done what I want to do and I'm ready for next year? Yeah, for sure. I felt happy. I think I was even maybe a little further ahead of where I thought we would be um, by the end of the year. Like I think I podium three of the last four races, Um, even worlds. I felt like I had the speed to win that race. I I think our bike struggled a little bit on some of those flatter sections, carrying speed and a few things that were hard to overcome. And, you know, there's a couple other little things that came in, but I felt like 
on the gnarly sections of track, like the hardest parts that I was either the fastest guy or really close. Um, mm. So I felt like speed was coming back. We just needed to get a few little, a few more things buttoned up to really be competitive on all tracks. Uh, but yeah, overall happy. It, it was, yeah. And, and being close to the win at a couple of races, I think it was, I had to remind myself like, Hey dude, you're, you're on course. This is the plan. Like, don't get too frustrated that you're not winning because <laughs> once you get close <laughs> and you feel like there's a win on the table and you don't get it, you're instantly like, ah, man, like, <laughs> you get bummed. So it was good. Yeah. I was definitely happy by the end of the year. Nice. Cool. We'll, we'll take a quick break there, but we'll be back talking 2023 with Aaron after these messages. Single Track is the world's finest independent mountain bike magazine, and they have a fantastic offer for podcast listeners right now. If you enter the code MAKINGUP at checkout, you'll get 50% off Print Plus and digital subscriptions for the first year. Print Plus includes six issues of the magazine, each one containing plenty of ride inspiration, opinion, adventure and reviews plus full digital access to their site for under 20 pounds with the discount code digital access to their site starts at just 10 pounds a year that code once again is making up that's m-a-k-i-n-g-u-p all one word no spaces for 50 percent off print plus and digital subscriptions at single track if you're enjoying the making up the numbers podcast hit subscribe now so you don't miss an episode and drop us a review whenever it's convenient. For additional content, follow us on Instagram at Making Up the Numbers Racing. 2023, then, let's start with the bike. You had a new bike for 2022. You've talked about it quite a bit there, the strengths and weaknesses, but I think it was only ever planned as a, a stopgap. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. This bike uh, that we raced last year, it was kind of meant to be a, a bit of a placeholder um, and, a, and a benchmark to test basically what we're on now against to kind of really be able to compare. Um, and a lot of the reasoning was when we decided to, to kind of abandon the, the VPP platform a couple of years ago, you know, we had, it was a really early start to the season last year. So I think we had four months to basically design, build, test, and get to the race on a brand new bike. So, uh, yeah, I was proud of the guys for being able to turn that around but we felt like with that bike we had last year that that was an achievable goal. Whereas the bike we're on now, there was a lot more we had to work around to, yeah. to basically get that bike. It's a more complex bike. We thought it would be the best overall option, but it was going to take more than four months start to finish to get a race bike ready. So, um, yeah, that was it. We kind of made a pretty simple bike last year that we felt like we could race, um, kind of fine tune it. And we were working on this bike we have now all the way through that time. We have a new engineer at Intense and it was kind of his project to take on. So he was receiving feedback, going to the World Cups and really putting in a lot of work on the bike we're on now to make that really the new race bike. So when the season was over, um, we tested what we're on now versus what we raced last year back to back. Cause I felt like we had a pretty good bike last year. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of everything we wanted it to be. So it was like, okay, good. We're on track. So ditch the old bike, <laughs> go with the new bike. So it was, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that intense has been willing to kind of go this route. Like we had to take a few steps back to go forward and, uh, to build the foundation strong, really do it the right way. We had to uh, kind of check a lot of boxes. So we've just been kind of slowly doing that. And now I think we're finally getting to the spot where it's, we really have what, what we're looking for. And, and ultimately it'll be a great bike for the consumer too. Um, yeah. so I'm, I'm very excited about that. We'll finally be able to, to launch basically what we're riding now here 
hopefully this year, I think. So you, you've almost had this redemption on the other bike. It was going better than you thought. You know, you said just before the break that you, you finished, you kind of progressed further than you thought. Was there any point at which you thought maybe we'll end up sticking with this design, the six bar might not be better? Maybe, but I think I was pretty confident team looking at the numbers and what we were trying to achieve and kind of where the limits were on the bike last year. Like I had said, that that bike was really good if you had it pointed straight down a hill and it was fast and rough. But if the track flattened out, um, it was a bit sluggish. Like we were definitely losing time on the easy sections. Um, that bike was was built pretty strong too. Like we we overbuilt it a bit, so it yeah. was. That thing was a tank. I think my race bike was like almost 43 pounds. I don't think I've had a plus 40 pound bike since I was literally on Yeti maybe. <laughs> so it was a, it was a tank. It was stable though. Um, so we, uh, it would mash through some bumps, but yeah, so that, that thing, but yeah, it, did, it definitely did cross my mind a little bit. Cause when you get to the end of the year and you have a great season, you know, you're like, man, this thing's working good. I really love this bike. Like but I, I knew with where my splits were the last second half of the year, where I was fast and where I was slow. And normally where I'm fast and slow on bikes, I, I knew that we needed to find some more time in certain areas. And that was kind of the goal of this new bike was to be able to have a platform that's good everywhere, really a good all around bike um, on all tracks and all conditions. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with where we're at now. And it's just a really fun bike to ride. Like I love it. It's a, uh, that for all the boys on the team, when we jumped on, it was like, man, like this is going to be a killer race bike, but like, dang, it's fun, you know? Cause sometimes yeah. you get on those big, long idler pulley bikes and you're like, yeah, this thing's amazing through the bumps. But if you want to bunny hop it, like, or wheelie it, like good luck, like thing is stuck <laughs> to the ground. So this thing, I feel like we, we got a good balance. It's, it's really good in the rough stuff, but it's still nimble, carries speed. Well, it, it turns and moves around on the track really easy. So um it's been good so we'll see when we get it out there but i think we're going to be in a good spot so you've raced a couple of u.s races uh second at both a couple of seconds back on DAC at the national at windrock and then last weekend the same margin back on a young rider asa vermetti first question um are you happy with where you're at yeah i mean always sucks to get second but again <laughs> i think um <laughs> With where we're at in the off season and kind of just where I know my sort of build is into the first race and kind of the intensity that I, I approach these first few races at, like, again, the goal was like, just log laps, be on the track, ride around, put a time on the board, be smooth, just kind of just starting to really get back on the downhill bike, starting at these races. I haven't really been riding a lot of downhill. Um, we did a lot of riding really early in the off season when we first got on this new bike to really confirm everything was where we wanted and set ourselves up to like, kind of get the finalized race bike really dialed in, which we'll be getting, I think in a week or two. Um, and so, you know, we, these races were kind of first time really back on the downhill bike much. So, um, I've ridden a little here and there, but not much. So, um, yeah, I felt really good for kind of just where I'm at right now. The races were really fun. I feel like the bike's working good. I feel good. My fitness is good for where we're at in the off season. Um, and we're set up really good to, to really start putting in a lot of laps the next month and a half on this race bike. We're going to go through all of our testing and like put big days in on the hill. So we're, we got a good foundation for where we're at. So yeah, happy overall for sure. And they've just been, uh, 
just fun. It's been such a long off season, like to yeah. finally be back at the races and hanging out yeah. and riding. It's like, dude, I, I missed it. It's been good. Nice. And then my second question, um, Ace of Ametti, how good is he? Um, are you thinking he might be the future US downhill for, you know, the way he's looking? Yeah. I mean, it looks like he's got a great shot, man. It's exciting. I don't, he's, uh, 16, I think something like that. Um, I think I hadn't really seen him much until last year. He had a really good time at national champs. I think he placed third or something at us open behind Dakota and Nico or whoever it was. Um, everybody. Yeah. I mean, he's been rotting really well and he's, he's just seems like a cool kid. So, um, yeah, it was good. I walked the track with him after qualifying last weekend and we were chatting about lines and like, I'm, I'm on board to help him however I can, man. I want to see us racing be <laughs> strong into the future. He's got a lot of speed, um, a lot of talent. It seems like a lot of drive, a lot of those things. So, I mean, obviously he'll have to make the jump to the world cup style tracks and all that when the time comes, but I think he's got a, a really good shot at it so far. So we'll see, but I'm, I'm definitely rooting for him. And is that time for him to jump? Is that 2024? Do you know when he is a first year junior? I think so. Yeah. I don't even know if he can race juniors next year. It might be the following year. Right. So he's really young. Wow. Okay. Yeah, cool. I think maybe I'm wrong on that, but. Okay. So shifting gear, um, what are your thoughts, feelings about ESO and, and the changes we're looking at for 2023 and, and their vision for the future? It's a very open question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's hard, man. There's a, a lot of hypotheticals in there and I, I don't really like hypotheticals. I think you got to get in and kind of see how it works out. Um, yeah. It seems like the motivation and the motives are good after talking to them. And so I'm happy about that. I think we all want the same thing and that's for the sport to grow and become uh, a better opportunity for the racer provide more exciting racing for the fans. Um, you know, higher pay and exposure and all that for the riders down the road. I, I think everybody's pretty much on board with that. Um, and I think when you're trying to put together a really tight TV package and you only have an hour and a half, obviously you, you can't accomplish five opposite things at once. Like you're going to have to sacrifice a few things, like you're going to have to compromise. So I think for where they're at first year, try to put together that tight TV package in that amount of time. Um, I've been involved with them quite a bit and Emmy knows as well. We've, we've been chatting with them a lot the last few months. Um, I feel like we're doing a, they're doing about as best they can for the time they have and where they're at. I hope, you know, and I, and I kind of trust them, you know, or at least I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt up front unless they kind of prove otherwise. Cause they're, they know more about that stuff than, than I do. Obviously that's their area of expertise. I can just only kind of give them perspective from the rider's perspective and kind of what our desires and hopes are. Um, and just try to blend those things together as much as we can. I don't, I don't love the idea of the semifinal and I know pretty much none of the riders do either after ha having a quarter or, you know, whatever, a quarterfinal, semifinal and a final now. Yeah. Um, but when you look at the alternatives of if you're just going to cut everybody down to 30 riders in one qualifying round, that would probably be a worse overall, you know, view for, for all the riders, especially the riders a little further down the list. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We don't have really a feeder series or other options set up to really have a place for people to go. Um, there's already a lot of contracts and things and stuff signed for this season. So if you just go in and chop everybody to 30 without an option, like that would be really difficult. You'd have a lot of guys showing up to do 
six practice runs a qualifier and go home. So and that's a lot yeah. of money. So, you know, you're trying to accomplish two things at the same time that are very difficult to do. So, like I said, I think there's definitely some compromises that are going to have to be made this first year or two, but hopefully long-term um, you can find options to kind of make all that blend together smoother and better for everybody. And I think that's the goal. So yeah, overall, I mean, I would probably rather have the schedule last year <laughs> as a rider, you know, like it's going to be more racing, more risk, more uh, time for things to go wrong and whatever. But when I look at like from the spectator TV package perspective, uh, having 30 guys in the finals with the TV package, I'm hoping that they'll come through with, um, I think it'll be a good show. So yeah, man, we're just kind of along for the ride. I'm happy they're accepting some feedback. We're trying to give it and help where we can, but ultimately a lot of it's kind of out of our hands. So uh, time will tell, but I uh, sure. I choose to be positive until yeah. it's proven otherwise. <laughs> Definitely, that's the best way to be. My first question was going to be about the semifinals. Um, and yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Like if they'd cut it to 30, I would have probably retired and just run my team and focused on my coaching. But the way they've done it, I don't, particularly like it i would rather just have the qualifier and aim to be in that top 60 in the final however i've now got the opportunity to come try and qualify try and be in the semi-final and then race my legs off and see if i can roll the dice and get in the final i'd rather that than like you said the alternative of just well it's now 30 guys and it's like shit the way it is that is going to be tough like how many yeah. juniors did we have come through last year 10 maybe yeah we're all top mm. 60 pace so so yeah completely agree there the other questions first one uh protection top five from last season are now protected for every semi and every final how hard do you feel it's going to be for someone outside that top five to go ahead and win the overall do you feel that protection for only five riders is going to play a big part yeah it is tough um i don't know if the top five has been confirmed i think it might be less okay. than that now you know more about that than we we do then. yeah i think it uh, we i haven't received final word yet but i think it's going to be less than that protected it might be three um so they're going even smaller wow yeah potentially yeah. so it's it's another hard one we had some i mean emmy knows we've been in a lot of chats with the riders group kind of our core group and with eso with chris and rory and all those boys over there like it's, it's again, it's hard because downhill is such a unique sport. You don't get to work into a race like you would in motocross or something where you have multiple laps. If you get a bad start, or if you have a flat, you have a LCQ or whatever. Mm -hmm. So as much as you want it to be fair, as fair as you can, you also want to see the top guys on track for the race. You know, it would be a bummer as a supercross fan to every weekend when you watch the race, like, Tomac or, you know, Chase Sexton or somebody like there's always a top guy that, that's not in finals. You'd be like, oh man, like in some ways, I guess it'd be exciting because points would be all over the place, but it's like, you know, and, and there's not really because downhill with flat tires, especially there's certain things that make it really easy to not qualify. So it's not like, it's just up to your own skill. Like we'll just go qualify and ride good. It's like, yeah, but there's there's kind of more out of your control there than in a lot of other sports. Um, and you have a lot less time to get yourself into a finals with more time for things to go wrong. So from the rider's perspective, I think it was like, we either wanted less protection or like either basically like less protection or no protection. Um, we floated that idea of like, what if nobody's protected and even like top guys like Loic and stuff are like, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Cause yeah. 
it's pretty fair. I mean, it makes things kind of be all over the place and you might have top guys where they could literally have one bad race, not qualify, get pushed back and have like something that happened to me last year. And like, you're pretty much just out of a championship straight away because of a flat tire or two. So that's not ideal. You want the top guys to have a, a shot at battling for a championship. Um, but if you protect too many and there's only 30 spots available in finals and you already lock in 10 of those, I mean, for those top 10 guys, that's such an advantage over everybody else. And that speed from 10th to 20th or 30th, a lot of times, like those positions interchange every weekend. So if you just happen to protect a guy from the year before, he might not be a top 10 guy anymore, but he's protected. It's like, it's a really, so again, as I said earlier, there's not an easy answer. Like there's compromise on both sides. So I think from the riders, we were like, we want less protection because we felt like that would create a fair outcome. Then everybody would at least be in the same spot um, or, or no protection. And we kind of like presented that, that to ESO. So we'll kind of see what option they go with. Okay. Um, and then my last one is more about the volume of riders at the events and how it's kind of organized. Do you think anyone with UCI points should be able to turn up and race a World Cup, how it is at the moment? Or do you think it should go more down the kind of Formula One road where, say for an example, George has written out here where there would be 15 teams, each team has two men elite, an elite woman and a junior man and a junior woman. So that would make 75 riders on track a weekend, no need for a quali, just a semi-final and a final. What, what are your, your kind of thoughts on, on those two options? Yeah, I think maybe the ideal answer is somewhere in between, uh, potentially. I do like downhill racing in that if you want to go to a World Cup and race, you can. I think that's pretty cool. At the same time, I think you do need to manage the amount of riders on track because if we get to certain rounds like Leo Gang or something, you have 300 elite males on track. It's it's definitely too much. And yeah. there's probably 50 of those guys, at least, that you know, I wouldn't say they shouldn't be there, but they're, they don't have a realistic shot at qualifying. So yeah. they're there mostly for experience, um, which is good, but it complicates the whole schedule. So I think ideally you set up a system where it's hard. And, and obviously like if you're going to qualify everybody down to only 30 people in the finals, that's going to cut out probably a decent chunk of people that would, yeah. you know, potentially want to go. Um, but I think it's cool to still have that open to people because downhill is such a there's such short runs and people can kind of jump on the scene so quick. So I think like with F1, it's like so exclusive with the teams and whatever. I think that would be too far one direction yeah. um, in my opinion. So I, I would, I would anticipate it probably settles somewhere in the middle of that mm. of like where we are now and something that would be like really, really difficult just to get into the event. I think it'll be, yeah. I think it'll still be open, but become harder, whether that's by rules or just by the fact of like only so many guys are going to go through and how much money are you willing to pay to <laughs> do five runs and go home? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you've kind of answered the question, the next question I had in, in, in the script. So I'm going to try and ask a, a little bit of a different one, if that's okay. How do you feel? It's, it seems to me that like we've handed over the keys to the, of the sport to a television company to shape the sport for the future and in some ways it was done with the, the jump from Freecaster to Red Bull like we've, we've never been back to Champery for example you know we it's very hard to cover those steep tracks but this is going another level now and how do you feel about that do you think that the sh TV should be the priority um 
I, it's tough. Um, again, I think it's hard to, you know, because if I say yes, it should be the priority. Then it's like, well, on what level does, are you willing yeah. to do anything just in the name of better TV? It's like, well, obviously no, yeah. but do I think that better TV coverage is better for the sport and the riders trying to make a living as a whole? Yes. Yeah. So in yeah. some ways I think it should be the priority. And in other ways, I think, you know, riders needs or the better overall of the sport or whatever should be the priority over TV. So I think it depends on what specifics you're talking about. You know, I think in some ways making that better is going to be a benefit for everybody. And I think it's the right move, even if it's difficult in some ways. Yeah. Um, but then there's other things where I think that that goes too far and you go, no, no, like you're, you're going too far the other direction. I, I think, you know, the TV can still, you can accomplish those goals without putting the iron fist down and like, kind of shoving everybody to the side and just doing what's best for TV. Because I think long-term that's not great for the sport or the riders or even the fans, you know, when there's, there's sports and programs that are run too heavy by organizers that don't care for the people doing it. Uh, that eventually reflects bad. And, and the sport, I feel like will always suffer because of it, you know, after a few years. So there's a balance there, I think. Yeah. Everything in balance. I agree more. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so because I commentated a race on national TV last year, I can testify to the fact that sometimes when you are Leger, you are like there and you see all the fans and everything and you see the race and you think that's the most amazing thing ever. But from the commentary box, what you see on TV is not really what you see when you're there. And like the coverage that they did in Leger, like on national TV at least, was like for most riders not very good like you could see the start and then the finish line where the jumps were like pretty crappy built so you yeah. could see and i didn't even know what to say as a commentator because <laughs> i couldn't so only all i could see is someone go down the start start line and then um, disappear and then case some jump at the end so yeah. it was like very hard to commentate so i can see there's a lot of room for improvements on coverage yeah. And so I think it's a good, it's a good thing, but yeah. So what we know right now, it's in Europe, it's going to be broadcasted on, on your sports probably. Um, and then do you know, Aaron, what it's going to be broadcasted in the state? Do you have any, uh, any infos about that? Um, I think they made an announcement maybe in the last week or two. And I think they did just put some of that info online. I don't remember what it is, but I think it's more or less like there'll be a, I think, and I could be wrong, but I, from what I remember, I think it's a like a paid service, kind of like you would with a motocross with Peacock TV or wherever it's on, where you pay a subscription and then you can yeah. watch the live events online. Or if your area has it on live TV, then you watch it there. So um, to me, I don't really care about that because I don't, I don't honestly even have TV. Like we only have apps on our TV. Like I don't have regular channels and stuff. And I think the way things are going, like, you kind of don't. So I think as long as the coverage is good and you're a fan of the sport, you know, you're yeah. probably willing to pay 15 bucks a month to watch it or whatever it is. Mm. I mean, I don't know, yeah. maybe it's more than that. I don't know what they're going to do, but um, you know, I think that's kind of the way things are going. So I think it's good, but you, you got to provide the value. You know, I don't think anybody would be upset if they had to pay, you know, if Red Bull TV coverage was better and better for the riders and the sport and everything. And, and they were like, Hey, it's going to be $15 a month or whatever. It's like, okay, well, mm -hmm. if you're a fan of the sport, then great. And if it's going to be on TV at the same time and you can watch it there, then cool. Like, I, I think it's an okay compromise, <laughs> but again, I don't know what that amount of money is. So if they come out and say it's 50 bucks a month, then I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. It's tricky. Well, moving on, uh, world champs this year is in Fort William. 
Uh, I think it's one of the few tracks um, you have been won on. So uh, will you be making any special preparation for this this year's Worlds? Um, yeah, I think um, obviously you got to be fit at Worlds. Like you got to pedal more than at other tracks. So there'll probably be a little bit of emphasis on that with training. Uh, bike setup as well. Um, Port Williams is a tricky track because it's one of the roughest tracks, but it also has a lot of flat pedally stuff. So that's a hard thing to sort of like make an adjustment on the bike. So maybe there'll be some tweaks we could make to try to help with that uh, a little more special for Fort William. But I mean, I think in the past, everybody more or less runs the setup that they're always on. Maybe you tuck mm. your Jersey in a little tighter so that you're more arrow there <laughs> in the wind, but it's a, uh, it, it kind of is what it is. So we'll see, but yeah, I mean, Fort William's another one of those tracks, like you said, with TV coverage, I think it's tricky because, that's one of the most legendary, epic, fast, gnarly tracks on the circuit. And normally they show the absolute worst sections of that track. <laughs> the live broadcast. Like you start as you enter the slowest mud section of the year. And then you do some flat turns and pedal down a motorway. Like, it's like, Oh my gosh, you like the two minutes before mm -hmm. the camera turned on is like the sickest stuff you've ever seen. Yeah. And you miss all that. So mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, but I mean, Fort William is legendary because it is what it is. And you know, you got to rent at the end like it's 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 a hard track so if you cut that out you know i don't know that track always produces the tightest times of the year and i think part of the reason some of the tightest times of the year i think part of the reason is when you know you got to do that sprint and you have such a long track like you've got to be consistent down the whole thing whereas if you chop the last 40 seconds off that track and everybody was sending it at the top like you know i don't know maybe it's a funner race to watch it's like i don't know so yeah, uh, as far as length of track, to go back to that conversation, I think there's pros and cons to both. Um, but yeah, for world champs, you know, I think it'll be mostly the same as the other tracks as far as preparation go. You're just, you're going to really need to put it together. Okay, so if you do win a sixth overall, given the journey you've been on, would that be sweeter than the other five, you think? Uh, yeah, I would say it would be. It's been a, a hard few years. So to win another one after everything we've gone through would, would definitely be special. So yeah, for sure. It would be good. Yeah. After everything you told us on the podcast, I kind of knew the, the answer to that one. For sure. <laughs> um, yeah. And another hypothetical, uh, hypothetical questions. Um, and you can't say both sixth <laughs> overall or the world champ world champs win. What do you pick? Oh, I was like both. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, man, that is a tricky one. Um, you got to get them stripes, man. No. I know. I kind of feel like with where I'm at now to be able to check that box, I think world champs, uh, it look better on paper. Let's go with that. Maybe. I don't know. It's hard though. Cause if I win another, if I win another overall, then I think I got more than anybody else. So I think I'm tied Ooh. on that one. So that's a hard one. Ooh. And I always like the option of winning an overall. Cause that means you got to win more races in a season. Generally speaking, like world yeah. champs, you can win mm. one, which is why it's so difficult. But if you're to ask, like, would you rather win four World Cups in an overall or just win World Champs? I'd be like, dang, that's a tough one. <laughs> so, I don't know. It depends on how the season plays out. On paper, sure, World Champs. I don't have that one yet. Okay. I, I get annoyed hmm. when people are like, you're the world champion. And I have to be like, I'm the World Cup overall champion. <laughs> yeah. It's be nice to be able to, like, nod your head yes and yeah, walk yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> nice well let's finish with a, a bit of a chat about the competition uh 2023 is going to be wild jordan and jackson are from the junior coming up and joining the party and i know you're a big fan of tibo de prella and we've talked about 
Asa as well. But who do you think will be the one from the next generation of riders? Yeah, I mean, obviously Jordan and Jackson, like their times were already there last year. Um, uh, they've both been fast already this year. I think Jordan just won another race last year. I think he just beat Charlie um, by a yeah. little bit. Charlie was a podium guy mm -hmm. last year. So I fully expect both of those guys to be podium battling for wins every weekend type of riders if uh, they stay healthy and everything. Um, there's a bunch of other other guys going really fast. I'm completely spacing on their names. Those kids from Australia, the brothers, one of them, Mayor I think, Smith. the Mayor Smith. Mayor Smith. Yeah, yeah, those boys. I think I really like those kids. Good kids. They're riding really well too. Um, I think they're just going to get better and better. And then you have like kind of the big three in my mind, like Loic, Loris, and Amory. Like, I mean, they're they're going to be fast again, like always. And then you have like all the other guys that are podium guys, you know, and I'd be in the mix on that. So it's, it's really tough. I, you know, Finn, um, there's so many guys going fast. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of it with the schedule this year, how things are working out, I think you're really going to need to be in it for the races. Like the top guys every year are, have been most of them missing races. I think Amory was maybe the only guy that didn't last year. Um, and he almost missed one, I think after a big crash. So it's going to be, I think who can stay on the track. You know, I think, unfortunately, I hope everybody stays safe, but I think just kind of how, how gnarly the pace in the sport's getting nowadays, like you're not going to be able to afford to miss a few rounds because of an injury or something like that. So I think it's going to be whoever can kind of balance that the best. Um, so we'll see, but man, hard, like you can stack 15 guys in there that would be all pretty gnarly <laughs> right now. Mm. And uh, we're hoping to be a few of those ourselves. So I think it's going to be a great year. And I think narrowing down for 30 for the finals and who that 30 can be and what the pace is going to be like, I, if they put that TV package together, I think it's going to be an exciting year. So we'll see. It's going to, going to be definitely a really high level of racing. It's funny because the, the next part of this bit were about the Frenchmen. So you mentioned all three of them. With George put on the script, Amory, Loic, and Loris. And um, yeah, so I guess if you have to pick one as a favorite for the overall, who would you pick? Except yourself, obviously. <laughs> I can't pick myself. Um, it's really hard. I think they all have different things going for them. Um, Amory obviously has done it, I think, maybe even a mm -hmm. few times, right? Um, so obviously, I think he's a favorite. He's learned how to do that consistency thing. He's He's getting better at that every year. He's got the speed, fitness, all that stuff is good. Loris, to me, I think is maybe uh, the most underachieved rider mm -hmm. on the World Cup circuit, maybe. I, I think agree. he should have so many more wins than he has. If you go back and watch replays through the year, the amount of times where like even at Lords last year where he's crushing it and he slides out in a corner or he has some weird thing happen. Like when, when he's on and riding good, um, he's really fun for me to watch. Like he... I think he should have a lot more wins than he does. And if he kind of figures out that consistency a little bit, uh, I think hundred percent, he could, he could be the guy. Um, and then look, obviously, I mean, when looks on and he's clicking and he's putting in race runs, like he's already, uh, he won an overall. I don't even remember. Um, yeah. but I mean, I, I think he's going to be really strong. Yeah. This year, I think he's in a good spot. Um, I think they've got new stuff with the bike and tires and I think that program, Graham's going to be good. Um, really interesting because I mean, you got him, Finn, and Jordan, all guys that can be yeah. on the podium on the same team. So <laughs> yeah, that, maybe that'll help them. 
Maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I need three of those guys. I mean, it, it's so much, I think it comes down to who will be the most consistent. You know what I mean? Cause so far, if you look yeah. at the last few years, one or all of those guys have had crashes and missed races because of it. So, um, if you're going to be the overall, I think it's whoever can be on the track every race. So you think now for you, like if you ra- you raced since a lot of years, World Cup, like is it this this next year is going to be the hardest year to win a World Cup for you, even more than at the beginning when you started? Yeah, I would say so because I think the depth of talent is deeper than it's ever been. Yeah. Um, mm. You used to have five guys at the top that were all really gnarly yeah. and they were always battling. And then the, it would drop off a lot quicker down the rank where right now, like your 30th place guy could be a guy on the right weekend that could potentially win a race. Like, you know, you got some really good guys deep into the field. Um, but I think we say that every year and you see the same three guys <laughs> winning races. So it kind of seems like the cream always rises to the top. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that this year with the juniors moving up, I mean, if you just look at it on paper, like, and the times and everything, the amount of guys going fast, the amount of teams that are putting in the work, have good bikes, good equipment. You know, it's not like, Oh, you're either on these two teams or you're on crappy stuff. Like uh, there's a lot of teams working really hard to give their riders a winning program. Um, so I think it's, it's tightening up every year. And I think this year will be the most competitive season that we've ever seen. So it's, uh, it's, uh, exciting. I think it'll be fun to watch for sure. Well, a great place to end it. Look, thank you for making the time to come on the pod, Aaron. Absolute pleasure, as always, chatting with you. And best of luck for the season. It'd be incredible to see you winning races again. And, and if you win one, you know, the competition are all going to be like, oh, fuck, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I hope so. Yeah, we're excited for the season. Looking forward to the next few months. And uh, it'll just be good to get back to the races and kind of it feels new. I think everybody, we don't know hundred percent what to expect with a new format and all the new stuff. So it's, uh, it's kind of exciting in that way. New year, a lot of guys going fast. So yeah, man, thanks for having me on. Pleasure. And that's it for another episode. Thanks to the sponsors of the show, Hope Technology, Geotech Suspension, Revolution Bike Park, Ride Southern Spain, Schwalbe and SingletrackWorld.com. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you've got a sec, please drop us a review. Alternatively, please give us a follow on Instagram at Making Up The Numbers Racing or Facebook.com slash Making Up The Numbers. Thanks for listening. We won't leave it so long next time, but we'll be back with season five real soon. This has been the Mammoth Production for Making Up the Numbers. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.